All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am honored to have uh, Mad Lions head coach Mac with me for today's episode of uh, Voice of Yamato. First interaction I had with you, Mac, was I remember it was on a PGL. This was the first year. I remember this was the season where COVID struck hard. I remember I was mm-hmm. ca- like, this was, we were on PGL. I met you and Kazi. And I remember that how you were talking, even though, you know, it was an interview, I felt like there was something so, so genuine uh, about you in terms of how you, you work with players. And that felt so relatable. And ever since I've been very intrigued to to, to follow your career and your progression, you know, you need to pay attention to the competition to some degree. And um, I remember watching that best of five against G2 that you guys won. And I know that uh, every time uh, I've been in competition against you, I, I counted the best of fives. We're currently one and one, which is uh, a good number, but you won the important one, the final uh, back in 2021. Um, all in all, I want to say that I have a great deal of respect for, for what you do. And I want to start off by asking, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. I mean, those are some very kind words. I'll, uh, I'm going to one up you though and say that I remember an earlier interaction with you actually, which was oh, when really? I was still, yeah, yeah, 2018, 2018. Oh, damn. Um, yeah, 2018, 19. Um, I was still an assistant coach on Splice back then. Okay. Um, and I remember, I mean, we had the, the best of five for um, third place in spring 2018 in Copenhagen. Oh, yes. Um, and, all, all throughout those... Um, the new two-in-one. Like... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, not as a head coach, though. Not as a head coach. Okay, okay. That's okay. We, we won't count that one. That was a long time ago. Um, long time ago. But uh, I remember actually making a tweet uh, at the end of... I think it was like 2018 or 19. I can't remember now, which okay. one now. Listing, listing the coaches that had made the effort to come and shake mine and Duke's hands at uh <laughs> like at the end of uh, of a series you know because it actually it was really not like common back then you yeah know? yeah and uh you were you were one of the the lucky few uh very respectful and sportsmanlike coaches so there you go okay okay no i'm, I'm glad it was a nice a good memory <laughs> so i started yeah. to think like did, did, oh my God. did i do something bad you know was it because it's such a long time ago you know maybe i did some 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 dumb shit you know because 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 you, cause you grow <laughs> as you go H- how did the uh, how did that transition, like your start, start and splice? So I, I looked, I saw Bulldog Esports, and I have to admit, I don't know, Bulldog Esports, what's going on here? How, how did everything <laughs> start for you uh, from the beginning? Oh, from the beginning. Um, so, I mean, from the beginning, I, I graduated from uni. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, like, kind of during my final year of uni, I, uh, I, uh, I got a wrist injury, like, in, like, when did I get this wrist injury? Like, 20... Uh, 14 i want to say yeah okay uh, and then i graduated in 2016 um and i was still struggling with it so i'd stopped playing league mm. and uh i started coaching like one of my some of my old friends in league because like i didn't ever hang out with them anymore okay uh because i wasn't playing league you know like that was kind of the only way that we connected like playing league or playing world of warcraft mm. um so I, I kind of lost contact with contact with a lot of my friends and so i started coaching some of them for fun um and then uh like friend team disbanded you know because playing ranked with your friends is actually not that enjoyable sometimes 100%. and uh yeah <laughs> that's relatable and then um then i i like went on reddit and tried to find a new team and it was uh i i got got in touch with i can't even remember the team anymore you know it was like this was like back in the kind of wild west days where you didn't really have like team names it was like you know looking for org type teams or like yes, whatever yes. like 
like random Bumbledore type team names, like <laughs> like these types of things, you know. And I I ended up coaching a uh, Latin America South Challenger Series team from my bedroom uh, with like nine hour time difference or whatever it is, maybe it was six, I can't remember. But like they're doing their scrims at like six p.m. their time, and it's like midnight my time, and I'm like <laughs> staying up late and missing lectures because I'm coaching this team or watching their scrims or doing officials or whatever it was um and uh yeah i mean it kind of went from there and uh you know same thing happens eventually that team kind of disbands or whatever go on reddit find another team that ended up being uh the team of mr grant Rousseau, who is the guy that eventually ended up hiring me to splice um along with peter um he went on, on then to work in guild now i think he's working with a saudi team if i remember correctly okay um and yeah um kind of i guess one thing led to another the the story for meeting peter and eventually getting to splice is that there was a uh, kind of looking for work skype chat back in the day um and peter posted <laughs> this is classic peter posted a uh, kind of open notice for interviewing candidates for a head analyst position at intz um and i had an interview with peter it went well then uh i ended up getting an offer to work with Origin in Challenger Series, okay. which was the uh, do you remember the Motivation Work Improvement Team? Yes, team? yes. <laughs> that was that was the first thing I saw right after I signed my contract, <laughs> <laughs> which was a banger. Um, so I went there instead, and then that kind of went down the pan. And I went uh, then I went back to Peter and was like, "Well, it, it went it went to shit." Uh, <laughs> and so I worked with INTZ for a bit um, remotely, uh, and then. After that, some of the Origin players uh, asked me if I would come and join Millennium with them. Um, Who were those guys back then? Was, was, I'm so, trying to remember the names from the Origin roster. So the Origin roster was originally, there were roster changes, but originally it was Dan Dan Double D. Mm -hmm. Then it was Zanny. Then it was Scarlet Red Hands. Then it was Neon. and Oh, sorry, no, it wasn't Neon. Neon was later. It was... Uh, Darkside and Quickseth initially. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Trying um, to connect my brain to the timeline, you know, and this yeah. made it a lot easier for sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it ended up being uh, Neon and ah, oh, what was the other guy? He played. He played Brandon Palm Kench. I can't remember his name now. Damn, forgotten it. Um, but yeah, and uh, that was that was a, a one big mess. And then I went on to Millennium, which was uh, Neon, Scarlet, Nero. Cass, who then later on came to join me in MAD. Yes, yes. Um, and Dalek, who I believe is still playing in the LFL. Okay, okay. Um, and then we, after I, I did like a few tournaments in the LFL, and then Peter got the job at Splice, and Grant also got the job at Splice, and they brought me along to Splice. No, it's, 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 it's lovely when you've like collected friends along the path, and it's like the, the people that you hold close and you feel like you share values with, you kind of hope that somewhere along the line you can kind of reunite. Because it's like esports is small, but at the same time not in some kind of weird way. It's kind yeah. of crazy that every one of you uh, united. Before we move on to, to, to the splice story, right, and the progression in splice, I, I wanted to ask you, what, what was the wrist injury that you had? Did you feel like so, you could be really good at the game were you, were at that point? Or were you like a League of Legends oh. enjoyer? Could we have so, had okay, a, so a timeline where Mac was was like Western Faker, but this very unlikely, <laughs> very very unlikely. Um, I 
I okay. So at the time that my wrist got injured and I had like peaked in like diamond five with like I don't know, like I had just hit diamond five with like eighty percent win rate or something. So it was oh, actually damn, like okay. pretty good at that point. But like I had been slowly climbing throughout the the seasons. I had like played. I, I played league since season one. Um, uh, so I've been here a while. <laughs> same same. Um, <laughs> I'm losing where... my hair, but you have gorgeous hair. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think like I I, I don't play league anymore, but um, I had like I don't know. I have I think I have an account with like five thousand normal games or something like that. Um, but the longest time I was a Shaco one trick, and that's that's how I got most of my Elo playing like and Shaco and Nunu and like Java. You're my, my... from season one. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I literally learned to jungle from watching like Trick Two G flashing over walls and eating people's fucking blue buffs at level one. As Nunu. <laughs> that was like my my favorite thing. When, when I when I played jungle, I, uh, I I like I like it when the enemy jungler like I like not letting him play the game. Mm. You know, that's the most satisfying thing is when the guys just like. To you, anything, you, know? you just want to see how the people <laughs> suffer. That's exactly, like, exactly. No, I, I can, um, I can that was to that. very much my my jungle style. <laughs> <laughs> I liked any champion that you could do that on. Just make one person's life hell, you know. Mm. Um, because that's I, I think I personally think that solo queue is like a like a mental test more than anything else, you know. And like your your job in solo queue as the jungler is to break the enemy team's mental, like one of their players' mental before like your teammates' mental breaks, you know? So you just pick one person and you make their life hell. No, for sure. <laughs> I think that's very true. And I think it has gotten more and more true with time as as players get to this phase where they are just... It's no longer they're playing it for the purpose of fun. You have like that a majority of player base they keep playing because they're addicted. Then I think that frustration is just cooking and boiling over and you can use the strategy easier and easier because... I feel like, especially with earlier surrender votes, opens, it's like the meta has developed <laughs> yeah. so much in terms of how you end games quick. <laughs> the frustration button is easier to press uh, with time, it seems. So I think it's uh, definitely a valid strategy. Yeah, man. Play players got nothing on, on the, the old players in terms of mental strength. Like when you were a top <laughs> laner in the past and you were like level two at 13 minutes, like, <laughs> like <laughs> that was just your life. Um, but you asked me about uh, about my wrist injury, actually, which I, I didn't answer. So um, uh, I, I actually still have it to this day. And oh, it's something okay. that I kind of uh, live with. It's not something I talk about that much. Mm. Um, but basically, I, I actually used to be <laughs> a semi-professional circus performer. Oh, uh, wow. So I, I was a juggler. Okay. And I had kind of just reached the stage where I was doing like paid gigs fairly regularly and things like that um so you know i can juggle knives and fire and holy balance shit. miscellaneous objects on, <laughs> oh on my, my face God. and things like this <laughs> yeah 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 um i was I, i'm a really obsessive person so when i get into something it like dominates my life and when i arrived at uni i joined a circus society i went to union leeds which is in the north of the uk okay and it just happened to be the case that the circus society in leeds had some of like like the best circus performers in the uk who just went there to like practice and have oh, fun shit. and meet circus people like leeds was just a big circus hub so i got super inspired by it really addicted to it like one of the people that taught me to juggle is like the person that literally like okay so there's a meta in juggling okay. of like how juggling <laughs> tricks work and like it's the same as any competitive like sport right where 
the like things that you didn't think were possible last year are suddenly possible now because someone's oh. broken the metaphor right like how the five minute mile used to be like beyond human capacity and now it's like normal yeah, um, yeah. so some of the some of the people who taught me were like in their day like world record holding uh like new trick inventing eight ball juggling phenomenons who are insane um it's crazy i remember walking into like one of the first training sessions i see this guy he's riding a unicycle he's playing a guitar in one hand and he's juggling three balls in the other and i'm like <laughs> okay <laughs> oh my goodness that is amazing. so insane holy moly so we're juggling <laughs> yeah, knives yeah. like how many knives are we talking here uh, only three i can only do three knives okay. i can do three knives or three only torches three. or i can do five balls holy moly okay and uh, I can't do five balls very well though. But uh, yeah, so that that ended up leading to uh, that and like gym and like hardcore World of Warcraft and lots of League of Legends, <laughs> like all the things that are bad for your hands. I did them, um, like that put strain on your arms. And I ended up getting a pretty nasty case of tendonitis oh, in shit. both hands on both, both hands. sides of my forearms. Oh, yeah, really? yeah. So normally you get tendonitis like here and this yeah, is like yeah. we call it tennis player's elbow i think or i can't remember which one is tennis player's elbow but th there's a tendon attachment here mm -hmm. on this side of your forearm and there's a tendon attachment like here yeah, on yeah. this side of your forearm as well and i i got it in both sides of both arms like at the same time Jesus, uh, which was really intense um and uh honestly i'm still kind of living with it so i actually don't play games at all anymore okay. um i also can't or haven't been able to for long periods of time do a lot of kind of repetitive or strenuous tasks so i used to go to the gym and weight lift weights and stuff like that a lot i can't anymore sure. um i uh, i actually instead of typing and using a mouse i use like special assistive software i okay. use dictation software so if i type a message to you it's it's a message that i've like spoken into the mic and there's a lovely program called dragon naturally speaking which dictates what it tells you okay uh, which dictates what you've what you've spoken um so yeah but it's also one of the reasons why mad has a big coaching staff because uh there's a lot of stuff that i like can't do i need a lot of help <laughs> okay okay wow no that's that's intense that's in both arms yeah no, no, I, I can relate to the obsession part i i was lucky that i got my injuries in my legs growing up so i, I could just i could still type but holy moly that's that's crazy man holy moly tendonitis in both arms that is nuts I don't think I've ever heard that. That is that is crazy, man. <laughs> I I feel I feel nice though now I can think all of your message all your messages, I would just hear them in your voice now. Even more <laughs> even more evidently than 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 previously. So I, I didn't know it's like always interesting to me when I hear about like a topic that I haven't explored too much, but how as long as there's humans and passion involved, then it's so engaging somehow, you know? So I, I've never I never thought about juggling at all, but now I'm like curious to to figure out who are the best jugglers, you know, who are the fakers of juggler, like what are the kind of competitions, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm so curious now. I'm just hooked. There's a, a wonderful saying that I heard once, which is that carbon atoms do some really wonderful and crazy things when you give them a couple of billion years. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. No, for sure. They get up to some crazy shit. <laughs> Wait, what, what happened with your legs? You had an obsessive, uh, obsessive competing type I story? Think, I think it was just, it's like I was playing a lot of football and then at some point, it's like I just addicted to just running outside, playing football all the time. And then at some point, I think I just started growing too fast while I was running and then both my knees just go, I just couldn't walk anymore. Like my, both of my knees, Whoa. I have like, 
I like I have like scarring on my knees from like the skin just being fucking stretched out because of how fast I grew and it was just a combina- combination of of just too much tension and at the same time growing at the same time. I don't know what the what the word is for it in in English, but it's it does like some common term for it. And I at some point I just uh, I tried to ignore it, which just kind of made it worse. And then at some point I just got rooted at home. I was pretty much just sitting at the PC, but it was kind of a blessing because it was the best excuse I could ever have <laughs> to just keep playing League of Legends. So <laughs> it was um, a blessing and a curse, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and I, in a way, that's both. That's how both of us ended up uh, how we are, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be here if I had not had a wrist injury. No, it's, it's, it's crazy how it's like some doors close, new ones open. It's, it's, it's crazy how it kind of goes. Uh, you mentioned um, how... Uh, how you've um, h- how the staff around you is so so important. I'm kind of curious now. Your transition into Splice, uh, you've 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 worked in so many different uh, alterations of what your coaching staff is because you you are probably the only coach that has worked with a team for so long in Europe. Right? Is this your fifth or fourth year already? Uh, wait, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. This would be my sixth. Oh, sixth even. Yeah. That is like. That is that is a te- that is Freddy tenure right there. Well. I, I I don't know anyone else apart from Freddie potentially because I think 2018 was the year he joined Rocket, which eventually became Rogue, which eventually became Koi. Oh, so I think it's I, th- I think it's me and Freddie being the the longstanding ones. Yes, yes. No, that is that is like that is a dream. At least in my mind, it's like at least when I join a team, I I, I try to work with the intention that I'm going to work there forever because otherwise I wouldn't want to. Uh, be engaged in the entire process of how a team is being run. It's like the values and the principles need to kind of align. And if you're going to go along with things you disagree with, I feel like eventually you reach a point where it doesn't feel as good uh, to to work for something. Uh, your time in Mad Lions, so you, you've been now in Mad Lions, and I can't even imagine. It's like when I'm in off season and I'm thinking, you know, what are the potential teams that I would like to join? So Mad Lions is not on my list. It's like they're working with Mac. That's never going to change. That's going to be, you know, the dynamic, you know, that that is Mac's team. How has it been? Like, how has that relationship worked? Like, why is it that you've worked together for so, so long? Uh, so I would say that <clears throat> the number one reason that comes to mind is uh, Till, who is our... What is his title now? Uh, director of operations, something mm-hmm. senior, something, something or other. Uh, European director of operations. I don't know. He's a director. Um, and Till Till joined Splice uh, just a little bit after me in 2018. We're now, I believe, the only two people apart from Jake, our performance manager, who are still here um, in the entire company. Jake is the Viking, right? He's, he's the yes, Viking man. Yes, Jake yes, is yes. the Viking. Yeah, <laughs> I think we are the only three employees that were around when it was still spliced nowadays mm. um apart from oh that's perhaps not true um i mean i think well so splice got bought by oam at the end of 2019 so the oam guys will will still count but yeah um and till till started off as a as a videographer in in splice uh and then we ended up having a lot of issues with the team management side so we changed team manager and it kind of happened that like to, like people in the team, players, staff, everyone realized that when they had problems, if Till was around, those problems got resolved. Mm. And so they just started going to Till with everything. And we ended up with him just doing 
all of the management stuff and he just kind of became the manager overnight and then through 2018-19 he was uh there the whole time and then he got promoted to general manager and then he got promoted to director and then he got given more teams like then he's you know he's overseeing the off season now he oversees like the entirety of europe that now he actually does the like signing onboarding roster building hiring coaches for like every team in the every franchise team that oam has um which is uh call of duty overwatch league valorant league of legends like if we have a team then till is the one that's building the team um so he's like he and i have been kind of a, a duo whenever it comes to like improving about how to build a good team basically how to build a good organization how to plan for the long term like anything that has that we have kind of done differently at mad lions has been because like <laughs> because till and i and then later on adam from 2019 who's um who was the ceo and is now oh no now he's currently the interim ceo for oam um i think before he was cfo i'm not very good with titles but uh yeah like it's because us three like kind of agreed on it right um so i would say that's the the kind of the biggest stabilizing factor uh, mad lions behind the scenes i think you're right that when people think of mad a lot of the time they think of me i think the person that they should also think about is till because till's been here like the whole time and so many of the decisions that we make on like an organizational level just come down to him okay okay no that's interesting no i i also i have some vague memory maybe my memory is crazy but i also remember working with till and he was a vid- videographer and yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of <laughs> surreal to, to to hear that uh over the span of the last couple of years he's it turns out to be such a gangster. This is like such a esports success story. You know, it's like you're in a yeah. team, something's not working, someone just gotta fix it, and then they become really good at it. And <laughs> it's 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 crazy how in esports you go through the the school of hard knocks, uh, basically through experience. Most of the time, you you grow if you just engage yourself uh, in it. So, would you say that? Um, uh, through your co- cooperation with Till and, and Jake, that you feel like your you, you, your values align and you feel like you can have the right amount of influence on on all of the decisions surrounding uh, the performance uh, of the League of Legends team. Yeah, definitely. I think like overall philosophy and kind of buy-in from upper management is is the big thing. Like if I kind of think about your previous question of like what's it like to be at an org for that long, like those mm-hmm. are the big things. And when if I have friends who are like asking for hey i'm thinking about going for this team like what do you think you know i have these options i'm not sure which one i like the best blah 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 the thing that i always tell them is like does the upper management see things the way that you do do they buy into the the things that you want to do with the team do they agree on your long-term vision stuff like this right because that's ultimately the the big thing that i have at mad lions that makes me not want to leave is that i know i have like full trust from till like till and i are a duo when it comes to kind of long-term strategy for the org and we have buy-in from adam who is our kind of like we report into adam on this is what we think the future of league of legends in europe looks like this is what we think is the best course of action from a performance standpoint for mad lines in the next two to three years right um so yeah definitely we have the same overall views and i mean that's natural because till and i like built up our views of how to build a good team together over (laughs) multiple years so you know, if we saw something that we liked that G2 did, or we saw something we liked that Fnatic did, or we saw something we liked that whoever, I don't know, the San Antonio Spurs did, or I read a book about management, or Till reads a book about 
like whatever or i read a book about military history like i share it with till mm. um and we build up our understanding of how to run an effective organization together okay okay that's, that's super nice to hear I, i think it's so important that um on all levels the the process needs to be predetermined before the results come in because i think that on a micro level if if i look from the standpoint of what team decisions are within like with players and draft or whatever like when i think of like these smaller decisions sometimes they can also be very reactionary and then sometimes the pressure from upper management can also be reactionary i think it's so important to the same way as you align with the players what you're doing in the day to day how the overview of a season you need to also be able to align and the process needs to be in place rather than oh we're losing you need to fucking chase something what the fuck is happening like the, the, that type of management that uh, just uh, creates this big shadow over your head the moment something you know plays out in a way that maybe isn't favorable because in the end league of legends and any team game or any sp sport for that matter can be very volatile in terms of what the result is so i'm so, yeah. so, so very happy to hear that that's what you have at, at, at mad lions because that's the only way i could imagine you know that um you've worked with the same team for so so long right definitely definitely i mean it's it's quite bizarre actually because we're one of the only are we the only i think we might be the only us owned or like we're, we're canadian owned now but before we were owned by marty strensevilk who uh was in north america mm. uh our head office laser chickens rochester laser <laughs> chickens yes our head offices i mean of course you know him i mean our head offices are in uh rochester as i imagine you know as well right yes, but, yes. um the so we, we've always had like upper management at a distance so there's like over the years there's a lot of like for sure there's a lot of like you know we lose a really bad game and then whoever it is in upper management is like oh my god do i need to be worried you know mm. um and i think part of the whole process of being a head coach is also a lot of it is about understanding how to set the correct expectations towards your upper management right like and to get them bought into the process of you know this is the like expectation we have for the year this is what we're looking for for the year these are our key performance indicators for the year these are the key performance indicators for these particular players these are the questions we need answers to by the end of the year in terms of what we think that you know how we think that this person slots into the roster or whatever it is right so that you can always refer back to that process and be like it's okay like we expect a certain degree of volatility here because of xyz right and i think that's one of the reasons why we've had a lot of leeway when it comes to working with with rookies as well because we're really clear about making sure that the expectation is you know around this player is that they're going to be volatile or the expectation around this player is that um they're a very emotional person and so if the emotional atmosphere is disturbed within the team you're going to see a drop off in their performance or things like this right so i think the communication between the head coach and the upper management is really important and yes, it's something yes. that's very often neglected 100 percent uh, agreed Uh, I think that's very, very common in, in, in eSports, this uh, level of disconnect. I think it's um, so important that it, it always, it's like it always boils down to communication. It's like if um, what you expect from the players needs is something that needs to happen within, within the coaching staff too, where everyone needs to be aligned and have the same ideas and, you know, the ability to, to converse about concerns and, and issues and about the future it needs to all be in the open and that extends to to uh, the upper level management too uh, 100% uh, uh, agree with you on on, on that uh, i wanted yeah. to ask you in in terms of uh, 
your transition to the head coach position uh, after Peter Dunn moved on to the e, to EG, um, there was my my main question in regards to that. How did you prepare for that transition? Because I assume that it came with so much more new responsibilities. Mm. So honestly, there was a world where I was never a head coach at all, mm. mostly because of my confidence around like my ability to do the role and deal with stress with regards to like my injury like to for some more context like my my hands have ended up being like a kind of chronic source of pain for me over the last x years now however long it is like seven eight years um and that's really hard um <laughs> so dealing with like increased levels of stress and also that like things things impact me quite strongly which is one of the reasons why mad has this culture of being so wellness focused it's also because that's it's not like a just a nice thing to have it's because i don't function well without that mm. um and that kind of made me believe that i actually wasn't going to be a head coach so like in in splice like peter was kind of raising me and duke up to be the kind of next head coaching candidates for splice um and at the end of 2018 like duke ended up being being the one that was kind of more apt for being on stage and being in a leadership role which i think was was the right decision at the time because he has like a a much bigger personality than i do frankly um he's he's the type of personality that expands to fit whatever gap it's in um and he was he was great for the team in that year so um and like duke and i were super 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 close uh like we still are but back then it was like we we were going to be a duo when we went into the off season that year we were like we explicitly stated to all the teams that like we're going wherever we're going we're going together um and so i was actually happy i had a conversation with him at the end of 2019 being like like dude like you you go somewhere i'm i'm going to follow i'm happy to just like be a number 2 and be the strategic coach by your side for like uh, you know we be a duo we go there we go wherever it is and and we we build something good together um that was the plan uh actually that was the end of 2018 sorry um because what happened at the end of 2018 was that then uh like this whole franchising debacle happened with splice where uh we almost didn't make franchising and uh, there was a stage at which we thought we were out um and then it turned out that we weren't out <laughs> so we were all back in splice mm. um and yeah long long story short at the end of 2019 duke uh had the opportunity to go to vitality which was great for him and he took it and i was considering leaving he took going my with job him. <laughs> <laughs> no, please sorry for, sorry for interrupting Continue. <laughs> i've forgotten that yeah you, you, you know you forget how like where people used to be you know um <laughs> then uh like he was gonna like he was gonna leave to vitality and i was like strongly considering going with him and uh then kind of basically peter said like stay and kind of i will like transition you into the head coach role right and that's actually the thing that gave me the the courage to take the position that even though i didn't think that i was like capable of it physically or mentally or emotionally or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um because Peter was was going to be there, like kind of guiding me along. So for that year, he took as much flack as he possibly could on social media. He went on all of the like interviews and shows and whatever, and tried to make sure that I was just focusing on my job. He did all of the communication with upper management. Uh, he was always there, like picking me up and dusting me off and giving me feedback and whatever it was, or giving me the like support that I needed. And that's kind of 
I think why I was able to make a good transition into the into the head coach role. Um, so yeah, like the, that's actually kind of the the reason that I became a head coach at all was because like I don't think I would have done it if I if I hadn't had Peter there to to ease me into it. Okay, okay. No, I I, I notice already a, a, a pattern uh, that you value value so much to have the right people uh, around you. Uh, I can I can definitely appreciate that. I think anyone. The, the earlier you come to that realization, the, the, the better, because it's always that conversation of the, the grass always looks greener elsewhere. But in the end, uh, I know now, like looking back at my career, there are certain people that I work with that, uh, you know, deserve to be cherished uh, a lot more than, than they potentially were. And now as, as, as you progress, you know that those people that you've collected along the way, it's like, I'm just trying to piece together a way where we reunite, you know, in, in, yeah. in the next team that, uh, I'm going to be uh, a part of so it's definitely very relatable and i think it's great to hear that this is something that you recognize so so early on you know to have people that you can trust around you to to push you further that's uh, truly a blessing definitely definitely i mean my i uh i i like to take after my dad a lot my dad's kind of my hero in a lot of ways and uh he likes to say that uh kind of at the end of your life when you look back the relationships in your life are the things that you actually treasure. Like those are the the real valuable things that you accumulate over the course of your lifetime. It's like, that's the thing that at the end of your life you look back on and you're either like regretful or you're happy about them, you know? Um, and I think that's true. And I think when it comes to working with people, especially like if you can find people that are hardworking and smart and kind people, like good people, you should hold on to those people. Because it's not that easy. It's not that easy to find. You know, it's really not. And you should just hold on to them. And that's actually probably going to be much more important to your happiness and your success than like a lot of the other things. A lot of the 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 greener grass things over the fence. You know, that you're looking at and thinking like, wow, that looks nice. And my experience has definitely been that I've had a lot of players that have left Splice or left Mad and looked back and like found out the grass wasn't greener. Mm. I've had so many players turn to me and be like. Fuck, I miss Till. God, I miss having Till around. I miss having like things just being sorted. Like <laughs> I miss having someone that I could just go to with my problems and it's just fixed. It's just taken care of. Um and I think it's little things like that that actually make up your your you know, you know, daily life experience that really matter. No, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's um it's like I I ran into a, a personal shock last year, like in my personal life that really put everything into perspective, you know? It's like every small problem all of a sudden looked so minuscule and the main focus was more about enjoying whatever we're, I'm going through uh, at the time. Because I think it's very easy in a very competitive environment to always think about the next thing rather than being actively there and recognizing that we are in the process of creating memories that we will actually look back on, which is something that I have personally tried a lot more in the last couple of years to be a lot more mindful of, because it's like in the, the vitality years for me, 2018, 2019, those are some of my best personal memories. And then when everything, while I was going through it, I did enjoy it, but I felt you know, maybe this was the good days, you know, that I should should be really grateful for and I should have enjoyed it more in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand. I often think that there's like, it, it's so easy to look at another team that's like 
higher up than you in the standings or whatever it is and think that they have this like perfect environment and perfect land where everyone's happy you know and there are no problems and that's just such an insane self-delusion and facade it's it's crazy you know like i i uh <laughs> i often uh say this to to players actually that like happiness is not like a destination you know like it's not this place that you arrive at where suddenly you get there and all your teammates are perfect human beings that don't make mistakes and they don't uh have their own issues and they never get angry and they never tilt and like they're all perfectly hardworking and they all see the game that like this place doesn't exist forget this place if you want to win like you need to be able to deal with imperfection you need to be able to deal with frankly taking on what you might consider to be an unfair burden and do things that you don't think that you should have to but that's that's what greatness is that's what winning and being competitive is that's what it means to be a top tier competitor and to be one of the greats you know uh it's like not focusing on this far off distant place where like your problems are solved by someone else no for sure it's just you have to uh, really really build a a form of internal resilience because especially in a team game there's so many things that can and will go wrong uh, within a season and who you are and what foundation you've built from the, from the get-go is always going to be tested. You, you can't avoid not being tested because one day someone's going to be sick, maybe a different day someone's going to go through some personal turmoil, maybe one day you're going to lose all the games on a weekend. It's like, how are you going to deal with those issues? Because everything is going to always accumulate uh, up until that end point where you're going to be playing your final game uh, of the season. And then everything is kind of just amounting to that moment. And uh, uh, of course, that is the final test. But everything that you do in the day to day and the challenges that you face, you know, in every hardship, there's so much opportunity to, to grow. And uh, the, always the, the, the process of convincing players to, to think that way is mm-hmm. always an interesting one. And I think it's the you, you can be the most pr- at least I feel the most proud when I feel like players are really buying into that and really living that idea. Definitely, definitely. I think, you know, topically, we had that experience this weekend, actually. Like mm-hmm. our, like on uh, Saturday and Sunday, we, we played really poorly. And more than like drafting poorly and playing poorly, we just weren't ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that felt really bad and everyone felt horrible. And our, like, the best mindset that I could think of for us to have coming into the next day was like, this is an opportunity for us to show that we are mentally resilient. This is an opportunity for us to show that we can come in and on Saturday and Sunday and suck and play really poorly, like play way below our standard and still come in on Monday with confidence and with decisiveness and with trust and feeling good and smile. And if you can do that, that's a big step towards being a really good team. Agrees. Agrees. No, uh, 100%. I, I think at least from, from my outside perspective, it felt... Even though, like maybe game one, I I, I felt uh, you know looking at it from outside, um, I think there was the affiliation to the high mid in a case. I thought that was on paper very difficult, but I think the, the 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 main feeling I got from game one and two was that there was at least from outside that there was like a lack of confidence almost. You know, there was something that didn't feel the same in regards to how I viewed Mad in the in the previous days. But then 
the game on the third day it felt like oh you guys made really good adjustments this looks like a very 13.4 draft with the leeson with the annie uh it felt like the adjustments happened and then the gameplay looked like a like a i want to say vintage mad lions game but it's from winter winter yeah. space so it's not that vintage you know it sounds like it's some dusty thing <laughs> so <laughs> well, you're exactly right though like all of us kind of came off came out of that game thinking like yeah that was like we played like ourselves you know mm-hmm. that was us that's the mad lions that i remember that we are we're still us good job us <laughs> <laughs> no that's, that's good to hear did, did you go through the process of mapping what that mapping out what that means to 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 be like each individual's like each player's role within that context of what it means to be mad lions is that something that's been mapped out or uh, is it more of like an an intangible thing i think it's definitely intangible i think it comes down to culture at the end of the day right which is this like almost like this corporate jargon buzzword at this point right <laughs> like whenever you read any book about management or coaching or whatever it's culture 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 and lots of people have lots of different opinions on on what culture is and how you build it and blah 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 and i've read a lot of those books and bought into a lot of those ideas as well but i think you know for like I, if i if i boil it down to its like simplest possible component i think the the mad lions like historically if i think back to the moments where we've been where Mad Lions has been the best it's ever been. It's when we're having fun and it's when we're confident. And that's like the bottom line. Hmm. No, it's that, that, that portion is very, very intangible because what that means for each individual player is so, so unique and so different. Yeah. So of course the environment needs to partially adjust to the needs of the group because the values and the principles need to be defined uh, together for, for, from outside, um, I've always uh, have I've gotten the impression that uh, and the environment that you build is is very nurturing, and I, I I see based off of the players that I've worked in the past in regards to uh, the the previous split, I can see that um, Niski is giving uh, is been given in the last year too a real opportunity to grow uh, out of this box that he was put in as a player just a player that, uh, you know, supports his jungler and plays these roaming champs. And I was happy to see that expansion because it seems so intentional. I'm also happy to see Hilly, you know, uh, in the context of how he approaches the game and how, you know, when, when Hilly plays well, I know that he has the support of the whole team and the buy-in of the team. And I saw many of those moments. So I was very, very happy to see this. So from outside, I can genuinely feel that you have built a, a nurturing environment in as the season begins so you've signed all your players the preseason preparation how uh, how do you approach that to 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 get the buy-in from the players and how do you set uh, the the kind of the expectations for a player joining a mad lions run by of course you and and until and the rest of the crew uh i mean that kind of it's something that has constantly been evolving from year to year and I mean, I don't want to give an it depends answer, but it does depend a lot on the of staff course. and players you have on the roster. I think this year we have like actually a very mature roster mm-hmm. when it comes to like actually like the players on this roster are I'd say this is probably one of our oldest rosters in terms of average age that we've worked with in a while. Um that would be my guess if you added it all up. And it's also the roster with the biggest coaching staff on site. We've had a lot of remote coaches before, but on site now we have a like we have four coaches on site. Um, which is pretty crazy. And then we have a Rome offsite and Aggie offsite as well. Mm-hmm. And then we have Jay, our performance manager. And then we have two managers and Till. 
and then content guys, right? So we actually have an insane number of staff for five players. <laughs> um, so we outnumber them now, uh, which means that <laughs> which means that it's it's very it's much easier for me to have like a lot of direct control over the way that our culture operates through the staff, and then the players. It's easy for them to get caught up in it, you know. Um, <laughs> no, but, uh, on a serious note, though, I think this year, in terms of preseason, our big focus coming into it was making sure that the team like was happy together and actually like bonding together we were actually we all got covid in madrid we stayed in our gaming house in madrid so like oh, a bunch shit. of us got covid i was in quarantine <laughs> in my bedroom in this house in madrid eating like chicken soup for like days i was dead i had like a horrible fever for three it was rough um it was rough but um we actually i mean you know it's it's not been a secret that our scrims have been pretty rough and that was from boot camp as well like i don't think we want a single scrim block in boot camp yeah yeah um and uh but we actually i think did a good job of counterbalancing that with having so much uh like finding ways to have fun together as a team and getting people involved in things and we spend a lot of time trying to think about what are the activities that are going to draw people out of their shells what are the activities that people are going to be comfortable with what are the like who are the individuals in the team that are gonna like kind of lead the energy and the morale of the group mm -hmm. and what are the things that are going to speak to them and what like what do they bring to the group you know i think uh like one example of like silly example of this that comes to my head is like uh we started yoya started actually like bringing a bringing a speaker with us to the lec and like blasting music I in heard the, the reggaeton in the actually bedroom. from the green room yeah, <laughs> the <reggaeton. laughs> and i actually did a lot to like transform the way that our pregame was and make sure that people were relaxed and having fun and things like this you know um so trying to kind of bring out these small things that allow people to kind of um have agency over the group dynamic and express themselves and have fun i think is our big focus and we spend a lot of time thinking about how we can get people out of their shells and get them having fun okay okay interesting i'm i'm, I'm curious um i always have this great challenge in Berlin to figure out activities that you can actively do. What, yeah. what are some some activities that you've uh, you guys have done? I'm going to steal some of your ideas here. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I mean, from a performance perspective, some of the best things that you can do for group bonding in human beings, physiologically or like I don't know, psychologically, whatever you want to call it, is getting them like getting their heart racing, getting them like. Uh, into like high states of what you'd call arousal right so mm -hmm. high emotional states whether that's like uh fear or stress or anxiety or joy like jubilation like these things that like really get your heart pounding and like have, make you make your heart swell these types of feelings are okay. like incredible for human bonding um it doesn't have to be stuff like that but things like going paintballing is one of them because mm. there's a lot of fear and there's like a pain response and there's like a camaraderie type thing or doing like uh we didn't end up being able to do it in the end because it got cancelled because it was snowing in madrid when we were there we were going to do like snowing a tree top madrid, climb. that's the thing yeah <laughs> awful. it's like first it time in like forever Spain trip ever. it was <laughs> yeah, snowing it was. you guys were covid it was, it was a whole mess <laughs> it was a good start to the year it was a good start to the um, year. Um, um but yeah like doing like a treetop type climb thing you know where you go from like a like a like climbing across ropes and stuff like that from yeah, tree yeah. to tree and things like that being high up like anything that really gets people going we do we do escape rooms with them sometimes mm. uh, sometimes it's it's tame stuff that you know um like 
all the all the guys have gotten really into chess recently because <laughs> all the staff have been playing chess and then Nisky started playing chess and then all the other players started playing chess um so chess has been a, a big a big part of the the meta recently which has been pretty fun um yeah and anything that we can provide them with that is gonna like organically help them to enjoy their time together is i think a positive thing for us i think even on a neurological level to to activate your mind to deal with different problems can be so helpful when you're like batting your head towards the same thing. It, it's so easy when you're playing the same game over and over that it becomes mundane and borderline automatic. I think it's so yep. important to engage yourself in different ways and at the same time to uh, hit uh, two nails on the head to engage yourself together with someone else is, uh, is, is so, so good. A classic one that I always do with my players is I give each player a basically like a geometric surreal drawing and then the other person needs to explain the drawing to the other person and he needs to draw this drawing and it always looks so damn ridiculous <laughs> and it's always fun to see how uh, pro players are like engaged in that issue and then usually i do like some award ceremony where you know next person gets to choose the team dinner if we go 3-0 on the weekend or something like this something silly just to to get them engaged this is also like one that i really like doing but paintball is a good idea especially That's like great, after, yeah. after a rough weekend i i can also jump in and maybe <laughs> shoot some bullets at the guys that are annoying me just a little bit <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> Uh, things like that are great things yeah, like that are sure. great I, I'm, I'm a big believer in some of the things that you mentioned like i think there's a, a big part of uh like human culture that is based on on ritual mm. um so things like uh being able to decide the next team dinner or, or things like having a little award ceremony we we had a uh we did uh cold exposure that's one of the other things that we mm. like to do with the players all like jump into a freezing cold swimming pool or we, we filled a bunch of wheelie bins up with like freezing water and put ice in them and <laughs> saw how long we could stay in them together and then danced around outside in the cold air like lunatics um, <laughs> and then came inside and like cooked some food together ate together around a fire like and, and like tried to open up and get some people to like actually share what they what they wanted to achieve this year where they were coming from like a bit of their story um, a lot of the more I want to call it like tribal or primal like elements of of human nature that really help you kind of bond with each other mm. things like that and then have like a kind of we had a like little closing ceremony for the uh, ceremony for the end of the boot camp and I, I think those types of things are also psychologically really really good to get people to uh like bond with each other yes yes no it's just the element of it's it's, it's like being in a team game it's not about it's, it is about doing your best, but what that best looks like in the context of making the team achieve its best can always be so different because context always matters depending on who you're working with because dynamics always change. And the only way to possibly do that is to actively engage, go through things together and learn more about each other. And um, I'm, I'm so happy that... Uh, uh, that this is something that you 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 guys share the, the whole the whole ice bath into <clears throat> into uh, a fireplace. You know, I just could imagine the experience in my mind. That sounds uh, really really amazing. I'm I'm, yeah, I'm a big cold exposure guy. Like when we were in Iceland. Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, we we just went zero three. We had a really tough world twenty twenty one, and then we went to the uh, I think Sky Lagoon is a place 
And I asked yeah. the guy, I was like, what is the record for the ice bath? He's like, yeah, I think like 22 minutes, something. I was like, okay, I need a win in my life. I'm going to go 30 minutes. It's like, okay, just let me know if you're dying so I can save you. I was like, no problem. You'll see me like, <laughs> closing my eyes or some shit. <laughs> Man, we only managed 15 and one of our coaching staff members almost got hypothermia. <laughs> <laughs> I think the trick is to not move. If you move, yeah. it gets worse. I, I sit there like tucking my hands into my armpits yeah, you know yeah. so that my fingers don't fall off <laughs> no i was just like i was an egg you know it's like yeah, but, but nice. at some point it's like it's no longer cold it's just kind of pain you know yes i had like yes. this pain in my bones that was just getting deeper and deeper and then at some point i was like oh, okay 30 minutes i i won something this weekend so i was satisfied Felt That's the need amazing. to get a win, <laughs> but probably a very stupid way to to, to get a win. <laughs> so yeah, I I love the I love cold exposure as well. We <laughs> when we went to Iceland in uh, for MSI that year, we we all jumped in the sea together. All the coaches oh, members went and jumped in the sea in like whenever it was. I don't know uh, April. Yeah, it must have been April. How cool um, was it? I need to imagine how cool it was. I think it was. I think it was like two or three degrees outside. Oh shit. <laughs> that was that was intense that was intense that was like like cold, i'm used to cold exposure where the pain comes on eventually mm -hmm. but this was like instant pain like 10 mm. seconds in it was like shooting pain it was horrible <laughs> <laughs> horrible yeah no, i can imagine i can imagine uh in in the context of um so i, I want to take a little bit of a step back uh the t the 2021 season back-to-back -back champions um what was what was the main thing you feel that could define the, the the major edge you have you had over the other teams in this season? If you look back, mm. to be honest, I think our biggest edge was humanoid. Mm. I think he had a monster season that year, um, and I I think that that's like that's a very simplified answer. But I I think the more complex answer is that we had a group of people that facilitated getting the absolute best out of Marek mm. because we like he's a very unique person yes he but, is. and he has this like bad boy kind of stone cold killer image which he is but there's also another Marek that's like a very different person and i think we managed to um get the best out of him is is the short answer like we managed to create an environment where Marek could be himself and got the best out of it and had like a really good team environment and had a lot of fun together and had full trust in each other. And in that environment, he, he really kind of took over when mm. it came to like the games. I remember there's, there's a, a specific game that I, I remember, I can't even remember when it was it, but it was like a, a really high stakes game, like playoffs or worlds or whatever, where we get Baron and we're in a really like we're in a kind of position to win the game. And, you know, like in those positions, like, I don't know about you, but personally for me, the positions when we're losing, the positions when it's even, like those are fine. But the positions when we're about to win, when we have the lead and it's like one more step and we close the game, mm -hmm. that's when my heart is at like 300 BPM, <laughs> you know? Um, and I often feel like that's when the most stress comes out in the comms, you know? Um, and I remember a moment where Yoyo just goes, everyone shut up and listen to Marek. And like Marek was just the only one that talked for like the Baron sequence and the push. And that's how, that's honestly how mad 2021 was. Like we had like everyone was, our comms were crazy cluttered. Like it was pure chaos all the time. Like everyone is just talking all the time. But when Marek talked, people shut up and listened. Mm. No, in, in, in our case, so the, the context, so 
now when we, we we acquired uh, humanoid naturally it's like we, we lost against you guys in the final and we we pursued them heavily I, I i think in the context of what was going on with us i think i think at least my read on it is i think individually Marek is one of the best players that i've ever worked with like i think in terms of like lane phase and in game understanding like he educated me on some serious shit you know it's like, me too. It's like he, he came into the team and it's like you guys fucking suck last year and this is what you were missing and then i was like, oh it all just fucking clicked you know it was it was it was like eye-opening and um i think a big issue for us was um i think when the effort that he put in didn't feel rewarding to him and he couldn't uh, like the, that level of you, you, there needs to be a certain level of resilience and and and, and kind of thick skinness to Marek's approach and you need to yeah. really absorb what he's sharing with you because at some point if he feels at least in in our year when he my read was that when he didn't feel like it, would, it was rewarding then he would care less and it would only kind of show up in the stage games so our practice was always in this terminus position where uh, jungle and support made a couple of mistakes marek elaborated on what needs to be done it wasn't fixed and then it was just kind of a vicious cycle of of, of this happening and i've began to appreciate more and more when you're the, the most important element of practice when it comes to performance and scrims is just how consistent your jungler can be because it's so defining for the rest of the game. It's like if your top laner dies once, that's okay, you know, we figured it out. The enemy Jace is 2-0, but it's like we can play the game. If, if jungle fucks up something, it's like he, he dies on an invade and his game is just whole, whole, whole completely over. So you need to have that really, really strength uh, about yourself and that the discipline about yourself when you're playing the jungle position to really allow your team to to, to get the most out of practice. And I think the the contrast is for me now when, when I worked with Razork and Humanoid, Razork is a very emotional player. You know, he needs he needs to feel he needs to be nurtured uh, by his 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 peers to really really perform well in a game. And I think Humanoid is kind of the opposite uh, in terms of uh, you know the, the the player that that he is he's not going to try to nurture your your teammate in, into that state where he's going to you know feel really good in game this is not the element he has a bar and a standard that he's going to try to help you achieve that and if not you know you're on your own in some shape or form you know that was like my experience in in in, in of course 2022 uh, with humanoid but on an individual basis like if you have the right pieces around the player like humanoid he wins your championship so for sure i i'm, I'm happy that the simple answer was of course humanoid he was telling me the stories about how you know he could uh, bring up these lpl games and just this is what we need to do this is what we have to figure out and and he seemed so overjoyed by the fact that he got positive feedback and response from that because people actually listened you know and I yeah think, yeah so i can understand that that's like the the, the main uh difference maker because we we started so slow in spring and uh we fell so far behind uh due to how we we were dealing where one of the players was having some personal problems and we were trying to deal with it and we we're kind of just patching things up but the wounds became a little bit too deep coming into summer because whenever there was progress whenever there was like a, a, a drop down because performance fluctuates, of course. And whenever there was a drop down, the drop down was so steep because the thoughts of 
this roster doesn't make sense. This roster is just terrible. Why are we doing this? Why should I waste my energy? That uh, that drop was always so, so heavy for us. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, Marek has taught me more than any other player about the game. And like, he and I have both challenged each other a lot. And mm. like, had a lot of kind of disagreements. And well, this team does this and this team does this. And like, kind of butting heads about these types of things. But uh, I respect his opinion so much. And we taught, I mean, he taught me a lot. I'd, I'd like to think that I taught him some things, but probably not as much as he taught me, frankly. Um, but the, I mean, what, I think what you're kind of uh, mentioning there with regards to him is that he can be quite a pessimistic person. You mm. know, he's, he's certainly not a glass half full kind of guy. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> and I think the, like that paired with like a very direct feedback style sometimes makes it really hard with players and i think you know hilly i think is one of these players as well that really yes, needs yes. to feel nurtured and trusted and comfortable and confident and he struggles to feel that way with this type of feedback style mm. um and i can see why that was an issue as well and on on mad 2021 like what what we had was like i remember we had uh like kind of one early game laning phase like marik is, is usually F keying when he's in scrims or when he's in competitive game to look at other lanes. That's one of the things I think that differentiates him from a lot of players is how good he is with F keys and how perceptive he is about what else is going on in the map. Like in our team, at least, he was usually the one calling, like, I'm going to dive top wave here. I mean, Armut got really, really good at it, but like he could do it without being told a lot of the time that like I need to drop a wave mid and go top here because he's F keying the top, the top laner and looking at his wave and he can like look at top lane for 0.25 seconds and see what's going on, which was always mind blowing to me. Um, and he would be doing this in scrims and he'd notice people's mistakes and I remember we had this scrim game where he turns around to Armour at the beginning at the beginning of the review and is like like put the review at like 2 minutes 32 and then he's like this last hit is bad this is bad like this needs to change you need to do this this you need to change now your wave is fucked now you crashed at a bad time now this happens like and this and like explains like the whole snowball of why top lane went poorly in this game like every single auto attack like frame by frame perfectly somehow uh to armut and i think so many players would be so uncomfortable with that and it was a, like a kind of like tense moment in the team you know people are thinking like how's this guy going to respond and armut just turns around and goes like explain it again mm. <laughs> like that's that's so uncommon and i think we we had that a lot with with marek elioya was the same elioya just wanted to be like a a sponge and just soak up all of the knowledge he possibly could from marek so he had a lot of kind of like outlets and he had a lot of like people who were very willing to to be a receptacle in that sense for all of the information that he was giving out and all the feedback he was giving out. And I think that's what made our environment so special. And that's what made us like have so much trust at the end of the day, right? The environment we had and like how open we were about the feedback that we were giving each other and how direct it could be and still be okay meant that like the players really saw the game in the same way. They had a lot of trust for each other. We also had like great team fighting. I think our team fighting set us apart from the league in a lot of ways. We had we won a lot of games that we shouldn't have won just off of like better team fighting. Um, but when you look at the situations where we're like really, really, really far down, you're like 10k gold down, and like the reverse sweep against Rogue in spring playoffs, or I think there was a game against you guys that we, yeah, that almost, we almost lost won. when we had Vayne and you guys had the GP. Yeah. Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like those those games. I think the the whole culture we had around giving feedback, around trusting each other, around the way that Marek was communicating with people and teaching people, around having fun in these situations, around smiling, like all of these things kind of 
and and the good team fighting like all of these things kind of linked together to make us just feel like invincible in game mm. actually like we 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 never felt like we were out of a game like even if we were 10k down we always felt like we could do something because we trusted each other so much now what you what you're sharing about humanoid makes uh, perfect sense it's like the, the whole approach of mine in 2022 was how can i create a circumstance where the knowledge ceiling of Marek is something that applies to the whole team on stage it's like we, we played very good games on stage because the effort of everyone was basically unquestionable while in practice the sign or the hint of something bad it would just scatter down it would be become very like tense always it would be like the, the 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 luggage of of not believing that these issues can be fixed was always kind of straining uh, the the practice through the year after we had a very tough uh, spring split with a terrible start and uh, everyone was kind of put in um, in in boxes i think when like looking at the current fanatic it's like they have humanoid on contract and i think with the right players, he beca- he can be easily the best uh, mid laner in, in Europe in terms of who he is. But he needs to have exactly the type of players that you mentioned. They need to be able to take direct feedback. In that moment when he's giving you feedback, if if you uh, give bullshit points and he can see through it and it, it feels to him like he just wasted his energy and time, he's going to slowly lose faith in you and it goes down a very, very bad path. And uh, yeah. I, I, I hope... I hope now uh, that even though Fnatic is going through such a tough time, it's like the context of where you place your players is so damn important because it would be very disappointing to me if all of a sudden people don't value a player like a humanoid due to the current circumstance of uh, Fnatic. Yeah, yeah. Team is more than just the sum of its parts. And uh, I mean, it's it's funny with Marek because it links back to something that I was I was saying earlier which is that actually like he really doesn't enjoy doing this he doesn't like doing all the shot calling he doesn't like giving people feedback he doesn't really enjoy like all of these things that he does to make the team better but he does it because he wants to win mm. and like that's exactly what I was saying earlier you know like sometimes to win you have to take on an unfair burden of things that you shouldn't have to do but you do them because you want to win hopefully more than anyone else you know that's the that's the ideal and you're willing to put the work in for it so that like what you were saying about if that feedback isn't received properly if someone makes a bullshit comment if someone makes an excuse if someone like makes it personal then the fact like you know if, if you were enjoying doing those things and you're trying to get through to someone and whatever like i enjoy doing those things right so it's, it's no biggie to me if someone like ends up getting a bit emotional mm. or a bit tilted or ends up being a bit silly or doesn't take the feedback well, it just means I need to find a better better way, you know? But yes, Mark yes. actively dislikes doing yeah. this. So if, <laughs> if someone does this, he's like, ah, why the fuck am I doing this? You know, like, what's the point? Yeah. No, for sure. I was like, it was always like a negotiation. I was like, Marek, when you talk to your teammates, when you're active in review, you, it's so positive. This is, if you can be the difference maker, what what can we do, you know? And then I tried to say, you know, this is a player. He reacts to this positively. If you talk to him like this, he's going to react like this. And then I, I see how he's looking at me. He's like, why the fuck do I need to do any of this? Why can't they just fucking <laughs> yes. play good? Why can't they just fucking learn the game, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I remember having a conversation with him in 2020 where 
he like he really opened up about how he felt about something, and the team responded to it so differently. And I, I remember talking to him about the value of telling your teammates how you feel and saying like, here, like, look at this example before where you said this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, and this example where you said I feel like I don't have enough information to play the game here. I feel like I need more. I feel like I need this. I I feel like all, like all like you know, making it personal, making it like non-accusatory and stuff like this. And I remember him turning around to me and being like, so wait, I just say what I'm thinking anyway and I put I feel on the front? That's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a difference maker. It's a difference between saying it's factually factually a fact or it's your impression. (laughs) It's it's a huge difference maker. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the difference between... uh, I don't know, you never put any wards down or you never track the enemy jungler properly and I feel like I'm playing the game with not enough information. I feel like I don't know where the enemy jungler is. There's a big difference. Mm. There's a big difference. Yeah, it's like the response to uh, the I feel thing is like, oh, why Why does he have that impression? Or it's so different from, oh, he believes that to be true. I have to prove him wrong. <laughs> it becomes... <laughs> A, a very different kind of uh, response, just uh, purely from a psychological standpoint, unless you are aware of it, which is yeah. from the coach's perspective, we 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 just pay attention. Most of the time when they are screaming, we just pay attention. So we see the patterns. Like at some point, like I can see if someone steals from their neck, you know, so I, <laughs> you can you can just notice, you know, what, what they're going through with these small, uh, small cues. And it goes such a long way if... Um, players actually take the time to also uh, deploy the same type of strategies that we are always working with. Like if, if they find ways to become closer to their teammates, it's, it goes such a long way in terms of uh, getting the most uh, out of your team. Uh, I was talking to Roman as well, and it's like they were encouraging basically their players to just have one-to-one meetings. And whenever I see players talking about the game together, just just strictly from the point of view of just doing it because they care and they want to be engaged with the game i was like okay well we are going to the moon you know this is this is progress we are moving in the right direction we're going to 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 smurf it i think the best example from from my career is just upset and hilly the effort they put together to make sure that they uh play well it's like after scrims they're reviewing for hours every scrim they're reviewing they're duo queuing and just uh, dropping games and not qualifying to masters at the time, there was no like MMR block, so they could just play, play, play. And they just engage with each other about every small detail. Sometimes they were yelling at each other. Sometimes they were very cute with each other. It's like it's like nurturing any type of relationship is so important uh, in a team environment because you have a goal, right? It's so similar to being in a relationship with your significant other because you need to nurture it the same way through communication and uh, actively really, really being aware of your values and and principle and appreciate where they align and just trust that the other party wants to move in the same direction as you and through that uh, of course grow i'm 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 so happy that uh, you know from the context of what i saw from the outside and always after a season i take the time to like reflect and say oh what went wrong of of course it happens in season two but just reflecting on each individual just taking time to to meditate on what um, went wrong and what players actually need. And it's funny to hear that this is exactly, you know, the context of, of how my Lions, when you guys were winning back-to-back titles, that everyone's just, uh, you know, really bought into the idea of, uh, you know, letting Marek, uh, you know, lead the charge in some shape or form. 
definitely definitely it's, it's funny you mentioned hilly and kind of being nurturing because i mean i completely agree with you on that that's one of the things that i love the most about working with hilly like there are literally days where we're like like i'm like dragging hilly away from his pc because i'm like come on man it's like time to review and he's like let me let me like look at this like trade i messed up yeah. this trade you know like <laughs> um, he's he's amazing like that and he puts so much effort in not just like on an in-game level, like, you know, kind of reviewing every single game with Kazi and telling Kazi, like, you should be resetting here or you should be trading here or we should be walking up together here or whatever it is, like these small details. But also one of the things that I've been so, so, so proud of our players with this year is how they've, uh, like, how they've taken Chasey under their wing. And I think Hilly was, like, definitely initially leading the charge on that. I think Yoya has also done an incredible job. Like, he and Chasey are very, very close. Yoya's, like, permanently playing top lane 1v1s with Chasey and reviewing his laning phase with him at the beginning. Like, Chasey's English has gotten incredibly good incredibly quickly. He's a very, very smart boy. But uh, initially, Hilly was literally, like, permanently looking after Chasey. You know, Chasey, come here. Come sit with us. Chasey, come here. Make sure, like, do you understand this? I'll explain it to you. Chasey, do you have everything you need? Chasey, do you know what you need for today's photo shoot? Like, do you, did you understand the message properly? Like, all of this stuff, like... He's so, so, so good at taking care of people and at noticing what they need and how they feel. I think he's such a wonderful teammate in, in that regard. No, Hilly is so special. I, I think I, I've noticed when, when, whenever he feels like the, the best source of power that Hilly can draw from is when he cares about his teammates. If that level of connection is not there, he, he, Hilly is just not the same player. And when he feels like he's fighting for the individuals in the team when he's playing, he becomes a whole different player. Like I remember like when we played the best of five against G2 and we 3 2 them, it's like he said, he just, I remember, I don't remember the specific words, but I'm paraphrasing. It's like, uh, upset is going to go to Worlds. I'm going to fucking take it to Worlds. And he said it with such intensity. It was like, fucking, you can put that in uh, some some AI generator, you know, and make it a whole anime show about this moment, you know? So every, yeah. Everyone who's going to watch that shit is going to get goosebumps because I did. And the way he played, he, he performed uh, on a whole... I, I didn't see, he was he was so free flow. He was so deep in the head of Reckless and Mickey. I've never seen that level of performance and, and level of uh, confidence and fluidity uh, just because of that connection he had to what Upset wanted to achieve. And... In the year uh, ahead of time, you know, that level of connection between Hilly and, and Humanoid, that was like a relationship that didn't work too well. Right? Both of them super, super strong players, but often they were butting heads about things. You know? And uh, I'm so happy to see Hilly having, uh, you know, success in Mad Lions. And that's why I could kind of imagine how you're working and how... When I see Hilly playing well, I know that the environment is nurturing. That's why I started my, my question from before. Uh, exactly like that. I'm I'm happy to hear that Hilly is a lot more engaged in the process of like actually taking like the first step in in connecting with his teammates because I think that's something that I always wish that he did more. You know that he had the confidence to to be the veteran that he actually is to to have more trust in the experience he has had as a player and uh, recognize the impact that he can have uh, as a player. Because the review and the mechanics and the level of play in the bottom side, this has always been his massive strength. But uh, the impact he can have on others, I think, uh, was something that I always wished for more when it came to, to, to Hilly. Because I think in the past he was always working with someone that would actually actively always engage with him and take care of him. I think Hilly Buepo, Hilly Upset, these were relationships that were very, very powerful and, and helpful for Hilly. 
So I'm very happy to hear that he is, um, you know, taking that uh, that charge uh, at your current team. Yeah, I mean, th those like those things you mentioned are actually two of the things that really uh, surprised me with with Hilly. One, like that he initially was very very quiet and not so forthcoming, but like he as soon as he got comfortable with people and as soon as he was given that like positive feedback and that like well done for looking after Chasey or like the encouragement that he needed and kind of as soon as he felt like welcomed and comfortable with people I think he opened up so much and like he started smiling all the time and mm. making jokes all the time and like looking after people all the time and like making these little like silly comments and like flaming people for fun you know things yeah, that he yeah. wasn't doing before like <laughs> it, it was really a, a joy to see him opening up and uh i was i was also really surprised actually like how much of the like because when i interviewed hilly like obviously our like common frame of reference is our experience with Marek, and that's like a mm. really easy framework for me to dissect with him to think about like like if i have a conversation with hilly about his relationship with Marek, i can very easily figure out like what kind of teammate he is, what kind of environment he likes. Like you can tell a lot about him from that because I know Marek very well. Mm. So it's it was actually one of the first things we spoke about. Um, <laughs> and I was really surprised at how many concepts he brought from Marek, like into Mad Lions, you know, like a lot of the things that Marek believes about how to play the mid game. Hilly is like really aggressive about them. Like this is the correct thing to do for sure. Yeah, yeah. No. So yeah, th those both surprised me. No, that's cool. That's cool. And I think that the most frustrating thing was when we were making progress and we were moving forward and we were improving, I could not convince Marek that that's happening. Because the moment something went wrong, it was, it was just proof that nothing is working. You know, so it's always that cycle. It's like, oh, look, we're doing good. We're, we're, look at the stage game we're reviewing it we're looking at it we're like, oh look how, how look at these concerts that are playing out on stage and how everyone's engaged with it look we're basing quickly the, the enemy team is we just put down the wards we're based we defend bottom side we fuck up the enemy tempo look at this Marek so, yeah 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 and then scrim comes some shit goes wrong and it's like oh everything come back oh okay we start over the vicious cycle the vicious cycle <laughs> yeah, it's, it's important yeah. to to feel like you can fuck up you know I think that's important to be able to to, to feel that way I'm, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm curious now, it's kind of a segue, uh, but I am uh, very curious about the, the finals against G2. So I, I, sw I spoke, uh, you know, with, with, with Hilly and, and I can imagine how the, um, you know, the, the pressure of facing a team that is so different and uh, uh, putting yourself in a position where you begin to question what you need to do. So you try to figure out like a new way of approaching the game and then you're overreaching and then you're like making maybe uncharacteristic mistakes. But I want to kind of hear your take. What, what, what are some of the takeaways from, from your side uh, after the G2 best of five? So let's say if we have a time capsule and I say, oh, you're playing a final again against G2. What are some of the learnings that you're going to be able to deploy uh, now coming into the next uh, best of five or maybe just put into the theory of what you do in your practice? I think the big two that uh, we spoke about as a team afterwards, uh, like first things first for like performance on the final day, I think, you know, it was a, it was a rough day for us in terms of our, like, like how we showed up on the day, mm -hmm. which was really disappointing for us, you know, because uh, honestly, we all came into that day believing we were going to win. 
which mm. I mean, you have to, right? But like genuinely believing it and feeling good about the matchup, like I, I, I still think that G2 is perfectly beatable for us. Um, but the things that we highlighted that we needed to, um, to do earlier, I guess, or do more work on coming into this year was number one, we needed to be more kind of adaptable. Like I, I felt like we didn't have answers in the draft for some of the things that they had. And like in the last week, we had done a lot to be more creative and more flexible. Uh, like, you know, we had picked up like the Gragas mid and stuff like yeah, this, yeah. right? But G2 kind of took it one step further. And mm. not every team can do that because like players tend to be more specialized than generalists. And G2 has a lot of generalists on the team, which is not something that you can just replicate just because you want to, you know? Um, it's something that like, frankly, not everyone can do. And like, that's okay. You don't have to be, you don't have to have five generalists on your team to win. Um, you can win with like players with smaller effective champion pools. That's not an issue. But we felt like we could have done more earlier on in the split to like, you know, you don't need to have like eight champions ready on the day, but you, and for us, it would be like, how to put this? I don't want our players to have like, I don't want to like try and copy G2 purely and say like, we need to have 10 champions ready on the day and then all the champions be like a seven out of 10, you mm -hmm. know, but I want us to be actively thinking about how to proactively innovate in the meta rather than copying what other people are doing, mm -hmm. like using data, using stats, using our own initiative, playing 1v1s, like talking to one tricks, all the like extra things that we can do to figure out which champions and which matchups are good. And then over the course of the split have two or three or four of those champions like that we add into our pools that we get to like being a nine out of 10 on, you know, like Niski's Gragas would be the best example. Like I want four more Niski Gragas's in my team of like, oh shit, you gave Niski Gragas, like those types mm. of champions. I think best example of that was Fnatic 2018 where you have like, oh shit, you gave Broxley Sin and then like, <laughs> oh, but you gave Hilly Pike. Oh, you gave Hilly Rakan. Oh, you gave Reckless Tristana. You gave Reckless yeah, yeah. Civet. Well, like, you, you gave Nemesis TF. Well, you can't ban them all, you know? Mm. And, like, I think that's the thing that I, I wanted. That's the big takeaway for, for, for me, like, the first one for our team, that I wanted us to be more proactive about innovation and develop more mastery over a more diverse set of champions. Um, the second one was that I wanted us to be more mentally resilient because I think after, after game two, we got really beat down mentally and like game three we had like a, a huge lead and we lost the game and i think that's that's like the the tiredness factor but also the mental factor mm. so i think those are the two big things to take away for us okay okay interesting i i wanted to elaborate on on just your takes on on the format because because i imagine everything must have changed in terms of the preparation it, uh, my my impression is that the, the weeks that you prepare before the regular split starts are a lot more essential there's no patches that are going to save you uh, momentum is 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 very important to get the most out of your stage matches. Uh, what was what was your general take on, on on the format? How do you feel about it? How do you guys approach it? Has anything changed uh, for you? Of course, uh, with with the format changes. Yeah, I'd say a lot has changed. I mean, I generally like the format. I think it's very hard from a burnout perspective. Like it's hard on me personally, for sure. Uh, like I'm definitely feeling it right now. Like. If I compare how I'm feeling now to how I was feeling at this date last year in the split, for sure I'm feeling much more burnt out now than I was then. Mm. But we've also like played three BO5s and three BO3s and been to a final, right? So I think 
The benefit of that is that we get to stress test our team at an earlier point. We get to stress test our players at an earlier point. Like at this point last year, would we be playing playoffs by now? We probably would, right? Yeah, we'd start yeah, late January, now, then we'd have yeah. eight weeks. Yeah, we'd be we'd be playing playoffs around now. Like I still wouldn't know what Chasey looks like in a best of series, for example, at mm. this point. I wouldn't know how he is. And that is, I think really really important information that i would rather have earlier so that i can then adapt to getting him to like you know let's say he's really nervous in his first best of five or he doesn't adapt well between the drafts or he's like we're not on the same page about how we like you know i don't know we lost two games to this champion we shouldn't like consider taking it out uh, like there are some players who believe you should and some players who believe you should like stick stick to your guns right yes yes um and like being on the same page about those types of things earlier and having more time to be able to troubleshoot those issues i think are i think that's a really really big positive and i think for me that's the thing that's gonna like level up the league over time is just having more best of experience and having more ability to adapt i personally feel that like adaptability is one of the most important if not the most important characteristic for a league of legends pro player outside of like confidence for example like Mm. a lot of the like kind of intangible or yes, yes. mental qualities right but i think adaptability in terms of your willingness to adapt your ability to bounce back from mistakes your ability to be creative your ability to change strategies your ability to pick up new champions to like adapt to different drafts adapt to different methods adapt to different play styles like all of these like all of these things for me come come under adaptability um so being able to test that and train that earlier on is a big 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 plus for me no, that's uh, that's very fair. I, I I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, adaptability is key on so many levels, also within game, right? Uh, sometimes the enemy AD or the enemy mid gets three zero, or you get three zero. All of a sudden, the dynamic of the whole game changes uh, because if everything is so pattern driven in terms of how you play, then whenever anyone's going to disrupt that, you're going to be in in danger. And it's also important to always be able to keep up and be in tune with what the state of the game is and make decisions based off of that, not based off of what you believe the pattern should be. There's like a balance in between. And I think on the outside portion of it too, uh, for sure. I I was happy, I was talking to to Roman and he was saying how there's such a big buy-in in terms of what their analyst is bringing to the table. And he has so much more data that is, uh, of course, something that um, uh, analysts are there for, right? They're supposed to leverage uh, the amount of information they have. And players are often acting off of their anecdotal data. It's like, oh, Showmaker's playing this. I should play this. Or this is something that I saw in solo queue. It's very, very limited and a very narrow perspective than what you can gain from from uh, working of course, with the information that is available to you. You mentioned before that you have a, a, a massive staff. How um, how is that aspect of uh, things run? Are, are, do the players get, do they buy in? They say, oh, there's this champion. Oh, look, Javan is doing well right now in jungle. We should just slam it because it is broken. Or, or how did that process coming into, for example, week one go? Because you had limited scrim time, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, week one, we I, I think the, the mistake we made in week one was we were like actually too broad. Like we came in and we were like, right, we're going to like flex this champion and flex this champion and okay. flex this champion. We had we had like too many ideas and we didn't refine enough like close to the weekend. So we ended up, like I said, having a bunch of seven out of tens yes, rather yes. than like <laughs> some nine out of tens, you know. Mm. Um, and that's that's kind of the story of this week for me. And um 
So overall, when it comes to the stuff, I think we're still we're still getting that that process right. You know, um, the I think when it comes to buy-in, buy-in is something that you have to continually earn. You know, and that, like mm. frankly, I don't expect to be able to go to my players and be like this champion's super broken right now, you should pick it. And them to be like, yeah, okay. You know, like, that's not how it works. Like, at least in my experience with, like, the the kind of top players and the LEC players in general, I think this, these types of things work much better in ERLs where players are like, sure, I trust the coach. What do I know, you know? But more often than not in LEC, I think you need to come really armed with a lot of data <laughs> and a lot of, like, evidence about why we should be playing this champion. Um until until you get like once you get like three home runs with that then great like i remember last year pad had this had this with niski because pad was responsible for mid lane positional coaching last year uh this year at zef but pad had like literally was like fighting niski to the death for like two weeks to get him to play lissandra you know mm. before lissandra was meta and rng was like the only team playing it and pad's like showing him like this is how you play your first base. This is how strong you are on your first recall. This is how strong you are at level six. This is how Shao Hu is using it. This is what he's doing in team fights. Look how impactful he is. And eventually he won Niski over. Yes, yes. Um, and after like two or three or four of those, then Niski is like, as soon as Pad suggests something, he's much more open-minded to it now, you know, because he's been won over and he's, he has that buy-in and that mm-hmm. trust. But it's, it's certainly not instantaneous. And it's like a, it's a person-by-person thing. And I think like all all coaches and players have their own like biases you know like they all have champions that you love like i'm sure you have this as a coach as well like you have this champion that like your team was like unbeaten on and unbeatable on in 2018 and the champion comes back into your meta and you're like so excited like yes we're gonna pick this champion it's gonna be super broken and then like well some things have changed since 2018 and you've got a new top laner now so like it doesn't quite work the same way you know like you can't blind pick visachachi gangplank every game and just expect to win (laughs) no i see no definitely there is there's like a process of i don't know how to define it but i I can definitely relate to the process of sometimes you let the players make a mistake just so you're not going to fight them on it just because it's going to kind of develop or or allow you to have some kind of credit like my my most recent example was the whole scrim week we're banning gp uh, and we're going to play vitality on the weekend with alfari and then we come in, we, we, we always, we did this thing where we have this, we have the draft meetings in the morning online and then we meet at the office late because we always had the later games. And then the draft meeting was set, everything was set. And then it's like, we're doing our like stretches before the match. And then it's like, why are we betting GP? He's not even good GP. I'm like, where, where is this coming from? It's like, well, no, I don't think we should ban GP. Wunder, you can play against GP, right? It's like, yeah, I can play against GP. I played against GP a lot. I, I can play against GP, no problem. It's like, yeah, we can pick good champions that are into, good into GP. And it's like, the whole thought was in my brain is like, yo, guys, the, the whole week we decided to ban GP. We're very bad at defending the, the dive on, on, on the, the stacked wave against GP. This is where we lose when we're playing like the Kale counter and so forth. So this is not something that we're really good at. There's like five players saying, no, no, let's open GP. We can play against it. And then, <laughs> then the game is played. And then it's like, we get dove top, our jungler dies, our top laner dies, and they're like, ah, I just, I just fucked up my auto. I think if I played it good, then we would have won. But I know in that moment, you know, I'll tank that best of one, because the next time we're going to have a conversation like this, 
they will know <laughs> you know sometimes yep. there's, there's there's it's like a like a game that you're playing where you're collective like like i'm gonna spend some points here to invest in this idea that i had and then if it goes bad then it's terrible or if it goes good you know you get a get a return there you know there's definitely like a level of negotiation that is kind of hard to define but it's very relatable what you what you shared in terms of like building that credibility and that buy-in it's 100%. like investing in higher level tech in Age of Empires, you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> like now we've leveled up. Now we now we can progress to the next level. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I think you highlighted two of two of the two of my like least favorite uh like sentences in draft meetings there. The why are we banning this? You know, like you've you've put this ban in the draft and like you open the draft sheet and the first thing like someone says, Why are we banning that champion? Like I don't like, you know, your, I don't know, your mid laner, for example, is like, I don't want to ban any mid laners. Like, you think I need a mid lane ban against this guy? Like, I can do it. And then, the other one is, I, I can. That's a great one. Like, I, I know you can play against this champion. Like, I, I know it's possible. Is it good? Like, is this the best idea we have? I could do it. Uh, uh, that's the number one, like, convincing strategy players deploy. They ask a teammate, can you play against this champion? Yeah, I can. Oh, see, <laughs> see, it's so often. Who, who, who says no there? You know, like who, who is going to say no? It's, it's such a, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a funny pro process. I like it. It's in, a it, false friend. It's it, a real false friend. That question. For sure. It's like in fanatic, every draft meeting, I recognized there was this pattern. It's like, I would sit up at night. I would figure out the whole thing. Everything would be set in stone. And then. I would come to the meeting, I would present it to the boys, this is what we're doing today, this is what we practice, this is what we're doing this, and I would present it. And for the first 10 minutes, everyone would just like say random shit. No, we should do this, we should do this. And then after 10 minutes, I say, guys, I have an idea, let's do this. And I present the same idea, I was like, wow, this is so good, let's do this. <laughs> Every draft meeting played out like this, every time. Uh, it's... I think you have you have to get the in out, you know. Like you have to like take all like see where the path leads, and then realize that it like you have to walk down the path until you see that it falls off a cliff, and then you're like, well, I guess I guess the other part does look better. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, it's definitely it's definitely like a like draft is like an expanding tree. You started with no bands, and it's like, oh, yes. if that plays out, then I have to ban this, and it's like everything just it's 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 crazy how much is dependent on just first pick and and one two it's like the 90 percent of the draft conversation is just that then maybe you're just four five bands here and there but uh the majority of just what are we first picking what is happening one two and that's like the the main part of the conversation <laughs> no it's fun yeah the absolute worst days for draft are when 90 percent of the conversation is on the nightmare scenario you know Yes, yes. What if, what, what, what if we like pick our secret pick that no one knows about and they ban that and our other champion that yeah. they also don't know about in second round? What if they do the three perfect bans for us that they've never done before and no one has ever done in the first round and they ban away all the champions that we're thinking of picking? Like, <laughs> those, those scenarios are, uh, I no, hate them so much. For I sure. hate them so much. For sure. But I can't, I personally, I can't let myself not be ready. <laughs> There's so many, I think, so many times. Where I go on stage and it's like, these guys had no fucking clue at all. <laughs> I just fucking yeah. have to laugh to myself <laughs> on stage, you know? <laughs> so we yeah, just yeah. wasted you, hours you always, you always prep the nightmare, but the, the nightmare prep is almost always a waste of time. Especially 100%. because the nightmare, you usually can't do much about the nightmare, you know? Like, <laughs> all teams have crutches, and if you take away enough crutches, then, like, the team can't, like, perform at their best. That's normal. <laughs> yes, but, yes. Like, so you can't do anything about it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, agreed, agreed. That's interesting. I, I wonder how some of these conversations are revolving around uh, 
like the, the big meme now with G2 is of course Draven, but there's some level of relatability with what Excel did, for example. It's like Hansama just first picked Draven and they got Gragas Aphelios into it. I thought that was like partially acceptable at some point, you know, if you play against G2. It's not like banning Draven is going to make you win against G2. So I can understand how that sometimes turns into a negotiation because from outside it's like, why are they not banning Draven? But they got Gragas, so it's like, oh, maybe there's like some trade-off they had in mind, or maybe they wanted to pick Draven 1-2 themselves because they banned Kate. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny to, to follow that uh, kind of line of logic. I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to ask you um, about some of the teams, some of your uh, competition. It's like now, we, we mentioned, we've talked a little about, uh, about G2 and the level of adapt- adaptability. Um, what, what are some other reads that you have on G2? How, like, how do you view them as a, as, as a team? I'm really interested to see how they pair up internationally. Mm. Um, a because of the level, but B because of the the way they read the draft. And like, I think Asian teams historically have a big pattern, and this is this happens every year at Worlds. And it's not just Asian teams; it's all teams. You know, like you come in with your prep, and it's the same thing. You know, this guy has never lost a game on LeBlanc. Give him LeBlanc. I can play against LeBlanc. <laughs> um, like this type of thing, or like I don't know, like. Uh, Olaf's a shit champion. Don't mind Olaf against Adam. Like <laughs> these types of conversations, you know. Um, so I, I think there'll be a degree of that at international events. But when when that has like passed, I'm really curious to see how they do. I think I think they're good. Um, do I think they're as good as 2019 G2? I would say no. If you like compare them to the level of the competition, yes, yes. Like I I think that that 29 G2 was was better personally. Um, I think they. They still have weaknesses. I think they're great at like their early game is great, and they I, I like the way they play. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of a lot of cool things to take away from them, but it's also hard to like honestly learn from watching G two because a lot of the time it's just them like smacking the guys around, you know. Mm. So it's actually sometimes difficult to have a read on on how good they even are, you know. Okay, I think that's fair. Yeah, it's 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 like sometimes. They they've lost games where they got kind of lost in the sauce. Um, with the I remember the Talia Swain game against you guys. I thought that was madness. Hilly just recognized I'm just never gonna leave my severe and I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't care about these rocks. Weaknesses do you want to share or you're gonna keep your secrets? Ah, <laughs> uh, weaknesses. I I can't say too much. Okay. Because I still think they're the same weaknesses, but mm-hmm. I think that they, like all teams, have a very particular formula. And one of the reasons why I say I'm curious to see how they do internationally is because I think if people can figure out that formula, then they don't function very well as a team anymore. Um, like the the there's there's a very particular way that they play the game, and I think it's the same in almost every game, frankly. And I think that once you realize that, and like we weren't able to like to stop them doing it, right? Clearly, um, so you know it's not like it's uh, it's not like it's that fallible, right? But I think uh, a team that's better than us or us in better shape on the day, I think it's it's perfectly plausible that they can be kind of dismantled. Which you know doesn't say anything special because all teams can be dismantled if you if you have like the exact correct read on them and the exact correct ability to punish that read on them right mm. um no i don't think that they are like a godlike team by any by any stretch of the imagination okay no that's 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 a very interesting take like contextually with with the week one i think that um 
Astralis actually did a very, very good job of actively contesting, you know, the, the stacking waves around mid and um, the waves that, uh, that, that Caps was actively freezing, because I think a lot of the action happens around there. It's just um, whether there's a situation where, where, where bot lane is completely broken and they can just dive bot, uh, usually the, the, the massive snowball, it's like, it's like if you can track Mickey, you can kind of find whatever the next decision that G2 is going to bring you along on. And I think that they are good at punishing uh, players that, uh, for example, let's say, oh, Renekton showed on top wave and they're around five, they're five on mid mid, they're just going to pull the trigger, they're just going to go and they are very sharp at um, recognizing winning game states. I think that's something that they do very good. But I think the game against Astralis, it seemed there were many moments where I felt like a leader... Uh, at least talking to him after their game two, it seemed like he had a very, very good understanding of what G2's next step was, and they didn't really, you know, fall for, I don't want to call it bullshit, but sometimes you kind of fall for bullshit, and <laughs> you kind of give away more than you should, and you forget that uh, you also know how to play the game, and there's a certain level of what is possible and what is not possible, and you can't um, put yourself in a position where you believe in what they do more than what you believe in yourself that you can do. I think Astralis did a pretty decent uh, job of that uh, in, in, in that game that they won. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, th I think their early support jungle movement is very, very good. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's like a, a big strength of theirs for sure. And I think that going back to their adaptability, like the problem is with like shutting down G2 is that you can't do it in draft because like, like I said, all teams have crutches, but you can't take away all of G2's crutches because they're very adaptable, right? So they will just find different champions that do the same thing and fill the same niche that they need in order to succeed in the way that like happens to work best for them on that patch, you know? So it's not like you can outmaneuver them and take away all the crutches and force them into a like checkmate situation in draft very often. I think a lot of the drafts that they lose are them like checkmating themselves. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's very, very hard to be able to like accurately read and adapt to what they're going to do in a best of five. Uh, Vitality is also a very interesting team now after the first week. Um, you guys had a rough game against them, but I, I take that with a grain of salt. I think Vitality in terms of, um, I think, the drafts and the competition, I think even though they had a 3-0 very clean week where they were very dominant, uh, then I, I believe the big test for them will be, of course, next weekend because they face uh, G2 SK Astralis, which I wouldn't think was a really tough week uh, before the season started, but now Crazy, it really it? is. Um, what is your take on, on Vitality so far? Uh, what, what do you think uh, uh, of, of, of... Yeah, I think that's the question. <laughs> Nothing more to add. I think Photon has had an excellent rookie season so far. I think he's been great. Um, I think Upset and Kaiser seem to be getting along really well. And that's honestly the biggest thing that makes me think they're going to be good. Mm. Is that like they seem to be like having fun together and smiling together. And that's a huge plus for both of them. I think... Honestly, looking back at Upset, there's been a lot of times where he hasn't looked very happy on the teams that he's been on. And that's, for me, like the biggest, one of the biggest red flags for performance for, that a player can have. And I think he and Kaiser, knowing Kaiser as I do, I think they will get on very well. Um, I don't know Upset very well at all, but um, you, know, you get a sense for like, roughly what a person is like. And obviously, I have like, insight from Humanoid and insight from Hillisang, right? So um, I, I think that Key and Kaiser will get on very well. And I think that that is going to be a huge catalyst for them being super good together. 
especially because as far as I understand, he's a very vocal player and I think that should synergize very well with Kaiser. So I think they're a good fit. Mm. Um, I was initially skeptical that they would be able to sort out the kind of resource management on the team because historically all of those players have been very high resource, including Bo. Like Perks is a like CS generator. <laughs> the guy like creates extra CS on the map to farm somehow. It's crazy, and that's always been the way that he's played ever since like 2018 or even 2016. Um, upset, very high resource. Photon has been mostly playing kind of high resource carries and Bo as well, but they've adapted really nicely. And like I think stats wise, Bo has like really not farmed that much and has basically just been going around the map murdering people. Um, and that is a really good look for them, and that makes it really scary to play against them. So I think they have a formula that's that's working well so far. I agree with you that I think their read on the on the meta was good, and they they had some really good drafts. I think our draft against them was was quite difficult. So yeah, I, I mean they they I did not expect them to go four five Darius Aurelian Soul without <laughs> knowing where our Cho'Gath was going. Like that was that that was a real uh, like, okay. You got us. Like sure, you know that like that that's the nightmare scenario that you do in draft. And you're like, guys, like, if they do this, like, congrats to them. Like, they, <laughs> yeah, they got yeah. us, you know? Like, <laughs> like, they got us. So, you know, well played to them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think things look good for them. But you're also right that they haven't been, like, truly tested yet. Mm. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, could you elaborate more on how, how Kaiser is as a person and player? Because I want to kind of tune that into my vision of upset. <laughs> So I would say that he is one of the players that doesn't deal well historically with super direct feedback, um, which was like a source of tension between him and Humanoid for sure. Um, like we always worked it out, you know, but that's like a big part. He He's a very mechanically competent player. Like a lot of his focus on the game is kind of individual. I would say he sees the game much more from his personal perspective in terms of how strong his champion is, what point in the game he's at, like what he can do rather than kind of a more global perspective. So he's very bot lane focused as a player, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say that he will do better when he has teammates that are like pulling him towards him, towards okay. them for whatever play, right? Like let's say in... 2021 the like when mad was at their best was when el yoyo was calling one minute in advance like i'm gonna go and invade their bot side mm. jungle kaiser can you be there and in those scenarios like kaiser will be there and he will commit to the play and and he will go and like style on people and break their ankles you know um so when when he has someone like pulling him into the fights pulling him into skirmishes then he he looks really 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 great but he's not always as proactive as he could be okay okay I felt like the, the, the first portion, it, it felt like you were, uh, I, I could put the same description on, on Hilly on the first portion, but the second yes. part, <laughs> the, yes. the second part, uh, Hilly likes to be very, very active in, in the decision-making process. And uh, I, I think how you elaborated on Kaiser, I can definitely tune that into a lot of memories, seeing Kaiser uh, play uh, in, in the Mad Lions with, uh, of course, um, Elioia. That's interesting. No, I think think how, how well Upset worked with uh, with Hilly, I think that with how you elaborated on Kaiser, I think that they should definitely be like a good fit because Elias can be very, very nurturing and, and, and very patient and is very mindful of how he uh, communicates uh, uh, with his peers. And when he feels like that is rewarding and that the environment is um, 
aligned with what he wants from practice, he's very, very competitive, then he is really, really in his element. And some of the things I've already heard from Offset, I think that he, they found a very, very good fit. But it's always in the beginning, if you're winning, can be easy. It's all about how yeah. they deal with the first initial challenges. But I think that roster has uh, experience in the right places and uh, their mind in the right places. So I'm excited to see how they continue. SK is another yeah. very interesting team, unless you have something to add, sorry. Uh, I, was, I was just going to add for the, the big difference between Kaiser and Hilly is that while Hilly is like a, a very emotional player, like he's very emotionally driven, he, that's a big strength of his. Uh, Kaiser is much more the like analyst prototype of person. Oh, okay, he's okay. very consistent, he's very logical, he's very kind of composed and thought out about the game and kind of methodical when it comes to his whole process of decision making for things. Um, and that's very much him as a person. So I okay. think he's, he has a, a lot. He's not a very volatile person. He's usually very consistent down the stretch mm. and he usually doesn't struggle with like burning out, for example. Okay. Okay. Well, it's, uh, that, that definitely, the, the way you uh, elaborate on players is so relatable to me because I can instantly imagine it. <laughs> I think he and Upset are going to be very consistent together. Very, mm. very consistent together. Cool, cool, cool. I, uh, I wanted to follow up with SK, the team that 3 0 uh, this first initial weekend, you know. It's first weekend of regular splits, so I don't think we need to put too much weight into it. But I felt like they, they look good. They look kind of good in their wins. Uh, what, what's your read on SK? What, what, what are your thoughts about uh, SK Gaming? About SK Gaming? I think, I think that actually coming into the split, they're one of the rosters that I kind of looked at and thought like, I kind of like that roster. Like it has a it has a nice balance to it. It has a good mix of personalities to it. I'll say as well that I think uh, Swiffer has done an excellent job. Um, he's one of the coaches that I've like chatted to a few times in the off season, and we've exchanged ideas on things. And uh, like looking at the top four teams in winter, I honestly think that it's literally just the four teams with the best internal like environment and the best team culture. Like the the teams that actually kind of enjoyed their time playing on stage together mm. um that was the the big thing that that leapt out to me um because i i know that that's very kind of close to swiffer's heart in terms of the way the way that he wants to coach and the way that he like his whole philosophy around how to create a good atmosphere and how to create an effective practice culture so i think he deserves a lot of credit for it i think their players are also individually performing very well but i, I really think they're kind of greater than the sum of their parts the big upside is obviously extra kick and dos i think those guys have been like way more consistently good than you than you would expect for a rookie bot lane obviously dos is not like a full rookie you know but especially for for extra kick i think like you know you expect a rookie to come in and have pop-up games sometimes and look really great but you don't expect it to be quite as consistent as extra kick has been so i mean big props to him no for sure it's like there's there's like these Hall of Fame rookies, you know, like Elioia is there, Extra Kick is definitely there. Like, there's there's definitely like these 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 rookies that perform beyond uh, the imagination. They just seem to be in their element when they're playing on stage. I think SK. W what I like a lot about them, I feel like they they they've been very very sharp at analyzing the trajectory of where a draft should go. And I feel like a big strength of theirs is how adaptable, certus and irrelevant have been in that context. 
So let's say I remember their game specifically against G2. There was a game where um, uh, they first picked Sejuani enemy match with Varus Graves, and then they slammed Sevier and Yumi, and then there was a Lulu, and right off the bat they recognized, okay, it's going to be a front-to-back game where we need to be in mid and, and top. It has nothing to do with less about the lane phase, more about how they are going to do contextually with how the game is going to go. Sorry, it wasn't Sejuani first pick, it was Elise first pick, sorry. Uh, and then they just slammed the Scion, and this was before Scion became Giga Meta and everyone yeah, started yeah, picking yeah. it. And they just recognized the pattern of where everything is going to go. And I think that uh, Irrelevant and Certus uh, have been very good at filling in whatever the gaps of the compositions will be. And then I think that in terms of how they just play out fights around objectives, uh, it seems like there's a very clear idea in what they want to achieve when they draft. And I think that's also have, has been a very, very big strength for them. Definitely. I, I do think that they've actually been ahead of the meta on a couple of couple of patches in terms of draft. That specific draft that you mentioned is one of them mm. for sure. I think they were they were really good at identifying the like how to draft around Elise, how to play with Elise in game. Like yes, they, yes. I, I think like five days after that, like it was them and uh, Hanwa Life were running that exact like same draft structure every time they got Elise. And I literally did like a presentation to our team about like this is how they're drafting Elise, this is why they're drafting Elise this way, this is how they're playing it in-game, and this is what it's doing, you know? So I think they've been really good at conceptually understanding how a draft fits together, and like you said, their execution has been really good as well. Like, when we played them in a best-of-five, honestly, like, they're, I think they're a good team, but I felt in the best-of-five that we were, like, considerably stronger, but I just felt like we hard lost the two red-side games. Like, I felt like I got mugged on red-side by them. <laughs> um, I think they they execute their drafts really really well. I think if if they weren't so good in draft, it wouldn't have been a five game series, frankly. Mm. No, I, I'm excited to see uh, that progression. Uh, th th this first week really, um, as uh, as an outside party, makes me super excited about uh, uh, Europe. I feel like there are so many teams that have leveled up, and that the competition is uh, definitely tougher than it was in winter with my very limited uh, you know view of uh, uh, the games uh, since we only had three play days uh, but it seems like the competition like looking at some of the matchups when I think of Astralis facing off against anyone SK against anyone uh, that's super super exciting and then there's also BDS I think they they don't look too too bad either it's um yeah seems like definitely. the competition is is, is very tough yeah, I don't know who keeps giving Adam Darius. Crazy. <laughs> who would do that? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. We I had can this play, with, I can uh, play against Darius. Can you play against Darius? Yeah, I can play against Darius. We had this in, in, oh my God, we had it in 2021 with uh, Jesus Callista as well. Our, our like scouting report came in for the day. Like, guys, like they're so much better when they have Callista. Just don't give them Callista. Why are we banning Callista? <laughs> I've had the same exact same conversation about Kalista. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Javan, Java's useless. Java support. Oh man. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, I'm getting flashbacks. That's a bad one. Uh, which which other team is is intriguing to you? We don't have to uh, talk about every single team because some of them are kind of you know redundant. Yeah. But... Uh, let's see. I think. I mean, Excel is probably one of the most interesting ones to talk about. Now, I think like BDS and Astralis, like they're both cool teams and are kind of up and coming and they have their, their unique things. But I, I think like the, the whole Excel situation is so interesting to dissect, you know? <laughs> uh, how, how come? Now I need you to elaborate. Tell me about the, the Excel situation. Because the Excel situation, I think, is such a like, 
classic case of the team not being more than the sum of its parts, you know? Like, you look at all the individual players and you're like, that's a good part. <laughs> like, that's a good piece over there. Yeah. Yeah, that bit looks good. <laughs> and the team just doesn't look like a team. And it's it's so funny how uh, how consistently Splice and Mad Lions has lost the offseason in the last five years. <laughs> and, like, how consistently the teams that have won the offseason have not ended up winning, you know? Like, it's actually been very, very, very uh reliable i think um and i think that the excel situation is like a, a classic case of like being in the off season and having not having a full oversight on like why you are building this team with the players you are building it with you know like if your answer to the question why are you signing this player is because he's really good then you're doing something wrong. Yes, you know? yes. Like players are not good or bad in a vacuum. They are good at X, Y, and Z and bad in X, Y, and Z conditions, you know? And they are helped or need these specific things in order to succeed. And I, I personally find that aspect of, of team building and roster building so interesting. Um, and it's something that I like spend a lot of time thinking about it's it's like honestly i spend more time thinking about how the pieces fit together than how good the pieces are you know i think mm. there are plenty of plenty of plenty of good league of legends players in the world obviously there are some players that are very niche or specialized or irreplaceable inside the teams that they're in but again they're irreplaceable because of the role they fill within their team not because of the fact that they are just a 10 out of 10 in every metric you know like players like that don't exist that makes uh uh, for sure i'm 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 100% with you uh, it's like the like some teams have the the approach of just making a list of names yeah. and excel got like oh this is the the second and the top laner this is the third here and they just went down a list of 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 priorities rather than thinking uh, of how everything is going to play out cuz uh, at least always for me the bottom line has been that I, I want to be able to imagine that we can create a scenario where a player could potentially be the best player in his position. And I I basically would want to elevate risk in that position if I feel like the names that are common have a smaller upside towards that potential base of what my read is. That's why 2018... Yeah, completely agree. In, in, like in 2018, I had the like Vitality was like, "Yo, do you want uh, do you want to grab all of these names that um, I don't didn't feel like I can imagine a context where there's going they are going to be the best player in their position, uh, or should I take this risk on this roster that is you know they've worked together in Giants, I scrimmed against them, I spoke to them, I had deep interviews with them, and I could easily imagine how we can put this together to challenge Fnatic at the time." And I was just way more inspired by that because I could see a world where we would beat and win a potential, uh, you know, uh, title uh, in, in the right context and if we work things uh, the right way. Definitely, definitely. I think the, like, the big trap is the, the short-term mindset, you know, mm. towards these types of things. And actually, like, I think this is something that, that there are a few like groups of people who are guilty here on this one. I think... One of them are the, the, the Jerry Krauses of the world for people who watched The Last Dance, you know, like the general manager approach to like building your little like top Trump empire of, of 
of like your little like player cards of this one's a nine out of ten on early game and a nine out of ten on mid game and a nine out of ten on on team fighting. He must be really good. And we just put like five nine out of tens together on a team and we win, right? Like that's the way it works, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> I think the, the other ones who like from my experience in this off season, uh, who are super short term minded about it, uh, are actually the the players. Like I think XL was like honestly a roster that was built for the most part by the players. That's the impression I got. And okay. like I talked to so many players in this off season who told me that they didn't want to consider Mad Lions as highly as other teams because I wanted to go and sign Chasey. And like wow. the number of people that told me they didn't want to work with Chasey or they didn't want to work with a rookie in this position or they didn't want to and I'm like, Why? dude, do you know how many rookies I've taken to worlds at this point? Like <laughs> it's not like not even as like a flex, but like it's just like look at the historical data in front of you. Like, why do you not think that these people are capable of being good just because they're not a big name? You know, it it like, irks me so much. I had, yeah, like so 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 many players who were just really really down on Chasey and were like trying to convince me. Like, I would like to work for Mad Lions, but only if you go and sign like this other like who someone who I would consider to be like an average at best mm. or slightly above average European top laner who's going to go to Worlds and get stomped by like the first Asian play player that he plays against. Um, and, like this, this blew my mind how, how short-sighted a lot of the sentiment was because I've actually never had to experience that in the offseason because usually I just like go and get the, the, my favorite rookie player that I like and they're like, sure, I want to come play for Mad Lions, you know? And like, it, it's easy. <laughs> I, just, I just go and get the rookies. Um, <laughs> but this year, like, we had a lot of potential changes and we had a lot of like... It was a, like a completely wide open field with like infinite possibilities. So I talked to like an incredible number of players this offseason, way more than I usually do. And I was really, really like gobsmacked by the overall like sentiment of chasing the good nine out of 10 players, you know? No, I, I even I, I feel like that's such a like borderline obvious move to just elevate risk in the top lane position based off of what has been going on in Europe, that it yeah. just makes like perfect sense to, to go in that direction. We have Chasey, Photon. I think that's, you know, natural that that progression happened uh, to, to elevate the level of top lane in the region and to redefine what, what the role is because it's so essential. It's so, so important. And to to imagine a world that people are going to be against this like the, the chase didn't have like some kind of bad boy reputation nothing like this right it was just oh no, nameplate no. who is this chasey like, Ch chasey had all of the hallmarks of a player that that like would be a successful import like every single one of them like i even i i literally went to the lengths of like showing players like here are Chasey's competitive stats and here are his solo queue stats. Like here are his solo queue stats in the last two months in Korean solo queue. Here are Summit's solo queue stats in the last two months in Korean solo queue. Guess who's a better? And players are like, yeah, but yeah, it doesn't really matter. I don't care. Like, <laughs> I want to play with whatever, you know, like name a, name a, like, you know, I'll, I'll let you decide which top laner comes to your no, mind first. I, I, like we, we are thinking about exactly top the same top laners and we don't need to be mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was absolutely like stunned by it. Oh, for sure. It's like, in, in my mind, it's like, you know, you, you have, you have certain players that are like elite tier and these are players that you want to start off. Can you grab those players, elite tier players, there's like you can count them on both hands uh, in, in 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 Europe, and then beyond that point, 
you 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 need to like the intention in my mind from each team that uh, is trying to design themselves to beat the top team there needs to be either like if, if you're in a position where you're working with less resources i think that you need to just elevate risk you know and then it's like you 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 adjust your course depending on that it's like if, if there's going to be an element of safety then that element of safety better be damn high and you need to be able to imagine your roster at some point competing for a minimum a world's position because i think if you do anything beyond that to me it kind of just doesn't make any sense yeah so what's the point of competing if that's not what you're designing your team for yeah exactly i mean when we when we started the whole mad project in 2020 the the like number one question we asked for each player was not like how good is this guy it's like how well does he fit with humanoid because he was our only returning player mm. and like he was the only player we had signed and how like can I see this person being as good as their opposite number on G2 within two years? Like that's the the evaluation criteria that we used. Because like back then G2 was like unstoppable God of God's team, you know? Mm. Um, and they were just individually the best in every role. And, and that was the criteria. And obviously for like not, not all of them like ended up living up to the to those criteria. But I think that you're right that that's like where you start looking, you know, that's the question that you start asking. And I think the within two years part is an important part of that. <laughs> Yes, yes. No, 100%. Everything is so, um, at least contextually for me, in, in, in the last, like in, in Fnatic, everything was very short-term results-driven because that's just what they've kind of built for themselves, like the, the pressure and the tension from 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 management and, and, and uh, the, the fans. It's like everything. You need to fucking be performing all the fucking time. So that's like the only thing that we were chasing. And then by design as well, with how Summer Split played out, it was like, oh shit, uh, we are one game one game away from not qualifying to playoffs. And then we're playing from the lower bracket. And then everything is just like a, a, kind, of a kind of a race. I wanted to ask you how... Uh, I, I imagine that this is a conversation that you always have with your staff and maybe with yourself is... When do you make decisions that are within a season? How do you find the balance between taking decisions for the long term and decisions for the short term? If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Do you mean in terms of like roster? Do you mean in terms of training? In terms of training more. Okay. So for in the past, I pretty much exclusively chose long term because mm -hmm. it's it was a nine week regular season so that was an easy decision you know um now i think the schedule being so much more compressed and having three weeks three games per week makes it so that you have to focus more on short-term adaptation because you have fewer games in the week and you have more competitive matches like you have fewer scrim games in the week and more competitive games in the week which means that like if you get the wrong read on the meta for that week it's really punishing. Yes, yes. Now you lose three games instead of two, or you have a worse shot at winning three games instead of two, you know? Um, so you also can't necessarily do the same, like because you have fewer days of scrims, like you have three instead of four now, you also don't have the opportunity to build up the week in the same way where, you know, you're like, let's say your first two days are about meta adaptation, your 
like or your first day is like meta adaptation your second day is introducing a new concept to the team and continuing on the meta adaptation by the third day you roughly know what you want to play and then you're like refining the new concept that you've introduced and like really like digging into it showing more examples of it doing a presentation stuff like this then the fourth day is like the prep for your first opponent that weekend used to be like the kind of rough schedule that we had during the week um and that that was a really good balance for like long-term uh long-term kind of development of the team this week it's like the first two days are figuring out the meta hmm. and then the final day is like prep for the new one and you you slot in whatever improvement you can along the side yes, yes. the the opposite side of that is that like we because we have more games we can have a lot more to learn from those particular games right so if there's a pattern that i've been talking to the team about in scrims i can say now i have more opportunities to show them and here is us playing three games this weekend and you can see this pattern highlighted here, 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 and here in all three games, you know? And this is the pattern that we need to learn to take away from this week. So it's much more like, I find that I have less time to bring new ideas from other regions to the team because I just don't have as much time to watch LPL, for example. Um, but I have more concrete examples of us doing things really well or us doing things really poorly that are very easy for me to access, you know? Like I don't have to go and watch three VODs to find like specific examples of this particular mid-game concept because i can remember oh like on the third dragon on saturday we did this really well and i can show why it was good you know so you have to kind of get your concepts from a different place but certainly mm. i think it's harder in terms of long-term balancing but you know the, you you get some benefit from just playing more games as well like that will make you a better team okay okay i'm i'm, I'm curious with um with with uh, with how the point system works um, now, in your context, uh, you you got second place in 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 winter. Has that uh, the the fact that you guys have so much points has that uh, influenced any type of decision making at all, or or is it just rock and roll? We want to win spring. No, yeah, I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say so. I mean, our, our kind of approach from a like for, in terms of the narrative that I try to set within the team is that our aim is to be the best. Like and that's different from saying that our aim is to win. And I think that links back to what you were yes, saying yes. about Fnatic as well. Like I've, our aim is to be the best. And in order to be the best, what you need to do, well, you need to improve every day. And if you improve every day, you're going to win some games. Like you're just going to, you're going to, it's going to happen. You know, um, it's, it's a, it's a byproduct of the process of improving and of like trying to be the best person you can be and trying to help your teammates be the best people they can be. So you can be the best team you can be, you know, like, it all builds on from the like the brick by brick approach of building up every single day, right? Um, and I think the the funny thing about what you said about Fnatic is that like their whole and this is the same for G two when G two had a rough year, like their whole brands are built around winning. So when you stop winning, who are you? And I think that's actually a real problem when those teams yes, stop yes. winning. Because they have nothing left to hold on to, you know. If Mad Lions stops winning, we're still going to be Mad Lions. Like we're still going to have the same culture, and our fans are still going to love us for the same reasons that they do. And we're still going to be doing the things that we believe in. We're still going to be authentic to ourselves, and we're still ultimately, like from a business perspective, going to be able to sell who we are as Mad Lions to to like sponsors, to fans, to whoever it happens to be that we are like like we are entertainers at the end of the day you know that's that's realistically what this industry is and we still have all of those things that make mad lions mad lions and that like make this a special place to work i don't feel like fanatic does 
<laughs> and that's a big issue in my opinion. Um, not just for the the players, but also for the fans, you know? Like, I think that's a big part of, like, if Mad Lions were, like, had, had come 10th place in winter, would our fans turn on us in the same way that Fnatic fans did? I don't think so. That's fair. That's fair. I think it's also an additional layer that, uh, like, a problem that also comes with size, that the, that the extremes become incredibly louder and more extreme uh, yeah it's, it's it's definitely a thing of it's it's funny it's like when i was negotiating my contract with fanatic it's like they leverage this idea of, oh you're joining fanatic you know you you're gonna get paid a little bit less here but you're joining fanatic you're gonna have so much fans but in reality i think it should be the other way around like we should get paid more <laughs> for dealing yes. with with all of the bullshit you know but <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's, definitely. It, it's definitely fun but they aren't all bad you know the, the majority of them are, are, are quite nice because i think that's just how the world is you know majority of people are just of nice i um wonder i wanted to ask you uh like since you have had uh, such a good history of uh you know implementing rookies you know and you you pride yourself on the fact of bringing a lot of them to the world championship um in the context of what fanatic has done now uh, so they are zero and three, and they are looking even worse than than in the previous splits. And I don't envy the position they're in, right? Because between winter and spring, there's not a lot of um, you know leeway for changes that you can make because of how the URL structure is and so forth. But uh, it is looking so cruel almost uh, to to kind of send in Oscarinin into the situation, and uh, you know it, it seems like he's not ready at all. Um, what is your general take on what's, what what Fnatic could do, or what, what, what's going on there as, as as a whole? I think it's an almost impossible situation. I think, frankly, from the beginning of the year, like the mistakes come from from there, and we experienced like something similar with our with our own academy team, which like did very poorly uh, in recent years. Which so I can kind of speak to it. I think that when like the first thing that I saw when I looked at the Fnatic roster at the beginning of this year and looked at like the fact that they'd hired a rookie coach from the RL to coach this roster, I was like, yeah, this guy has an impossible job. Not that these players are like uncoachable or anything, but just that like this is not an easy position to be in. And this is gonna require experience. Like you and I both know that like Marek is very demanding and yes, very yes. perceptive. And like if you don't earn his respect it's gonna be a hard time for you yes, and yes. i imagine that the exact same applies for a lot of the players that were on that roster mm. um i don't know them very well but i can imagine and, it, and it's the same with like any good player frankly right like that's normal for good players that's the standard in the lec that like respect is is earned not given and uh that's not to say that they didn't hire a good coach or anything but it's just such a hard position to be in um so i think then you end up changing the coach. Then you end up making roster roster changes. Then you have a new coach that comes into a like already challenging situation where there are like undercurrents of things that are not fixed and tensions between people that he's probably not aware of, and that he has to go and like walk into these like spider webs that are hanging around <laughs> and like catch them on his face, and then be like, "What the hell is this?" Like, and try and deal with it in the best way he can. But um, I think. I mean, I think Oscarina is really good. I think he's a super promising talent. He's a talent that that like Matt honestly had their eye on for a while. Um, 
and I think that the level that he's performing at, at right now is probably not representative of his of his actual like his actual ceiling. You know, like a lot of the things that when I when I watched their games this weekend, I think like this 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 is not like there's like a for example there's like an Orn E into the tower where he's playing Orn into Camille last yeah, yeah. night. Uh, like you don't do that if you're like Camille has ulti up, she just presses R and you die. You don't do that if you're like performing at your at your true level. Like uh, he wouldn't be in the LEC. I've watched this guy play for two years. There's, there's no way, you know. Mm. Um, so there's definitely something going on there. Is it nerves? Is it bad team environment? Is it that he's not been like it, like I don't know him very well as a person, so I don't know what he needs. But there's clearly something that he needs that he isn't getting. That's like mm. the only thing that I can realistically say. Um, for Advien, um, I like Advien a lot. I thought that he was a smart addition to Fnatic because I think he's great like glue for a team. He's mm. he's a lovely, lovely guy. People only have good things to say about him as a person, and he's the type of guy that I think can smooth over a lot of the like tensions and things that will come up in a roster that has humanoid and reckless on it. Um, and I think he should be also someone that like will facilitate what you mentioned earlier that Razork requires. So I think a lot of the like emotional needs of the team can be met by adding Advien. So I thought Advien was a really smart addition. I thought Oscarinum was a good addition. I'm honestly surprised that they're not doing better than they are because I thought they were were like decent additions. But yeah, clearly there's there's something that that Oscarinum needs that he isn't getting. That's the the big thing for me. I feel like the the, the biggest concern always. Like with, with with a team like this that has gone through so much turmoil, is that um, after something goes wrong, then the the image of things being new becomes shattered, and yep. the the pain of uh, a loss can become so much more extreme and really really bleed into everything else. I um. I think the, the the most difficult thing for for Fnatic from a like strictly strategic side from how the roster is built, I think how, what makes the situation so impossible is that they have a player like Humanoid on contract, but there is nothing there's nothing in available on the market that would uh, allow you to build a roster that would make humanoid into the machine that we both know he could be and mm. i don't know if that's something that they can achieve even between spring and summer um and then it was the same as well with uh, you know upset being on contract wonder being on contract the fact that you have these very very powerful building blocks and you can't piece something together to fully utilize them uh, definitely makes the position so much harder to to, to play out Completely agree. I think what you mentioned about kind of the the like echoes of the past coming up and shattering the illusion of 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 the honeymoon period is so relevant. And I think when I look at that roster, I think like in those scenarios, you need to have like a certain level of innate confidence, or the coach needs to take immediate and effective action to restore the team's confidence and to remind people of the things that they're good at. And I don't like I don't know. Razork that well but from what you said earlier it doesn't like I think he needs some of that like affirmation and I, I think without it he probably won't be as confident as he could be I think Marek is a bit of a pessimist I think 
reckless is also not the type of player that's gonna like turn around and instantly feel good and bounce back to his 100% and feel super great about it and you can't expect the same you can't expect that from Oscar Rinen or Advien in their you know like debuts at Fnatic obviously Advien has been in AC before but for Oscar Rinen like he's completely like fresh off the boat so I don't think you can expect that like raw level of natural confidence straight away yes, from yes. them like after immediate losses and I think that is something that is going to make those echoes of the past coming up and those like those fears of going back to the way things were and people shifting back into the same old patterns and the same old like defeated mindset the victim mindset it's going to make it really really deadly for them unless they can like find ways to believe in themselves frankly and i i think there are you know a lot of cases like that in the LEC right i think that's why some of the like the you know the the 10 kind of elite players that you mentioned earlier are elite players like for me that's what separates them from the rest because they're the ones that can like in the case of like mad lions this weekend go and play two horrible games and then still like come in the next day with a smile and feel confident and help their teammates feel confident you know like they just believe um and i think that is such an important quality for a championship winning player uh, it's something that, that every team needs you know because every team like you said has has down days every team has zero two or zero three weekends like well not every team but like it's it's going to happen at some point like it's pretty likely to happen that you have two losses in a row yes, and you yes. need to be able to bounce back from them yes yes well i think it just comes down to 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 what you said before right the core thing is just adaptability because so many things are going to be thrown your way uh, there's so many things that are inconsistent so the things that you can control and are consistent which is the day-to-day -day process and how you build your values, and this, of course, ties into team culture. That is what needs to be robust, and that needs to be prepared for any type of randomness a season can bring, because sometimes a player is sick, sometimes a patch is just completely messed up, or uh, sometimes, like, I, I've been hit by a car two, two times when I've walked to the, to the, to the office, like, really? shit, shit happens. Yeah, I've got hit by a car, I, like... Uh, the, the most recent split where I worked, I, I was on a lime, got hit by a car, I flew three, three meters, and I'm like, shit, I have scrims. And then oh, I just, I just uh, kept liming to scrims. I told my manager to patch me up, just fucking patch me up. That was probably a bad idea. I should have probably gone to the hospital because <laughs> I was like vomiting the whole night uh, after, oh which gosh. is a very weird reaction to being like physically hit. But... Yeah, I had scrims, you know. <laughs> I just had to go to scrims. It's just this is this Man's is the, work. <laughs> the randomness of of shit that can go down is is, uh, is something you need to be ready for. So just adaptability. I think you hit the the nail on the head. This is like the my, probably my favorite word now. Yeah. Adaptability. I mean, when when shit hits the fan, like you don't like step up to the level of the occasion. You you fall and you fall to the level of your preparation and your team culture and all the systems that you have in place. You know the foundations of the building. You can't fall through them. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, that's such a beautiful way to put it. You know the the worst thing is you know when yo oh you went zero three on the weekend. Well, we need to have an intervention. We need to do everything different. Upper management is here. Now we need to do one-to-one -one meetings. We need to figure out what the issue is. We need to start everything over. It's like, oh, fuck. This is not the way. It's like, we need to make everything set up before the season. Everyone needs to be bought in. And you need to really, really, you know, uh, stick to it, you know, no matter what yeah. happens. Because the moment you, 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 the players also feel like everything is result-driven, then they will also become 
wildly inconsistent in what their mood is and what they are bringing to the table. And then there's a different layer of pressure that is not necessary. Yeah. And often I feel when the upper management gets involved, there there usually ends up being a certain degree of finger pointing because the boss is asking whose fault it is, you know, mm. and that, that doesn't help a team. And that's something that like just doesn't happen at, at MAD. And it's one of the reasons that I've been happy here for so long. Like we, Phil and I have, have like complete trust from the organization of like, okay, like our processes are good, our systems are good and, and we're going to like work it out over the long term and like, it's like it's like investing in the stock market, you know. Like sometimes it's going to lose fifty percent, sometimes yes, yes. it's going to go down. You're going to see like red numbers all over your screen, and you're going to be like, <laughs> "Oh shit!" But you know, like if if you if you bought them at a good price and your process was good and it's a good company, it's going to be okay. Like yes, you, yes. It, it's like volatility is part of the is is part of the experience, and that's that's honestly part of the the joy of competing and the joy of competitive sports, right? No, one hundred percent. If it wasn't hard and tricky. And the human element wasn't a part of it, and the passion wasn't a part of it. There would be uh, no fun at all. I, I've taken up a lot of your time, and I want to squeeze in the question that Romain uh, asked. Ooh, uh, yeah. Because we need to carry on the tradition. So I, I think that the gist of his question is pretty much after a very successful 2021, and then a very terminus 2022, what are some of the learnings through based of the two years that were so vastly different that you implemented to make the training process as good as possible in 2023? Hmm. So honestly, at the end of 2021, I was like, awesome, we won a championship, hmm. but I wasn't that convinced that I had done the best job that I could do. Hmm. And in 2022, I felt like for the most part, I did a really good job, but things kind of went to shit obviously like uh, that is still my responsibility right i'm not trying to say that it wasn't my fault that's not what i'm saying at all i am the head coach everything is ultimately my responsibility yes, that's yes. the way it works but like i i was even like after the so i i show the the team like uh, i have like a, a library full of like clips you know like I, I think most coaches do right where it's like here's your like early game clips and here's your mid game clips and blah 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 and i i compete with myself every year to see how many i can do um to see if i can do like more this year than i did last year you know like <laughs> if i can show the team more good examples of plays this year than i did in the previous year um and in 2022 i think i showed the team like the the most that i'd ever done which was something like 150 or something like that like plays that i thought like this is a really fucking good play that mm. i've seen from an lpl team or an lck team or whatever it is or whoever it happens to be um which which was a lot um and honestly, in 2022, I felt like I did like some of the best work that I had done in terms of like how consistent I was, how good my routines were, how like the volume of the work that I did, the quality of it. I think it, it improved a lot. And so the big learning that I had was actually that I fucking love my job. You know, like I could <laughs> turn around at the end of spring 2022, like get missing playoffs, having one of the like hardest moments of my career, telling a rookie player that like, like, you know, breaking his dreams basically mm. and that you know sorry you're not good enough to be here at the moment or like the team this is not the best thing for the team you know is like is the long and short of it um and still turn around and like be happy and love my job and that was a, a huge weight off my shoulders actually because i had all these questions about what things were going to be like post winning you know and if i had actually done a good job or if like how much of my success was attributable to humanoid and things like this so 
Mm. The other thing that I that I took away was honestly just that like you there were a lot of things from 2021 that I tried to recreate in the team in 2022 through like creating the the perfect culture that I wanted and all these types of things but I I realized then that like the mm, you cannot kind of plug and play the culture that you want in the team just because I want the the culture that is the most authentic to me, that doesn't mean that that's going to be the one that speaks to the players, and it's not necessarily going to be the culture that they that gets uptaken, and the one that they end up like uh, they they end up living out themselves. You know, so I learned in that way to be kind of more adaptable towards the players that we have, and also to be really careful about the players that we end up signing and thinking first about culture when we were looking to sign players or making sure that we had kind of culture pieces in place that was a, a big takeaway for for me from 2022 okay okay uh very interesting no um i think it's very evident in in that that you love your job and that you're very passionate about your job i i like to think that i'm good at reading people and I felt that way from the first, uh, you know, from the first interaction that I remember because I forgot the the initial one when we lost. I think I was just too deep in my head and I was thinking about my boy Jezuke and how we're gonna bounce back from <laughs> from from that painful loss. Oh, of course, naturally, naturally. So uh, I'm happy that uh, that that you reinforced me on this one. Now this has been uh, really really great, Mac. Uh, I know that uh, you have uh, plans now. I could keep you here forever, you know? I tried to be very selective with what I wanted to bring up because we could talk about so much. I would I would want to talk more about your, your players and I would want to talk more about, you know, what are the what is the ambition of Mad Lions for, for this year in terms of how you view your progression and how your strengths and so forth. I feel like we could talk forever, but um, I know that uh, you have dinner reservation. Is, 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 is that the case? Or can I keep that you? is the case. That is the case. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. You've been very kind, and uh, I think you're doing a wonderful job at, at hosting. I think you ask really insightful questions. So Thank you very much. For everything. It's been amazing. It's very easy when I am very interested. <laughs> that's that's all I can say. I'm very interested in what you do. I have to keep you for one more minute though, because the tradition oh. needs to carry on. You need to ask a, a question uh, to my future guest. Do you know who the future guest is? No. Roman oh. was the only one who ever knew. Ah, <laughs> Roman, you sneaky side, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, next episode is episode 42, correct? Yes, yes. And 42 is the meaning of life, correct? Yes, yes. That answers the question? Okay. So um, I would be really interested to hear from the next person that, uh, like, what is the thing that wakes them up in the morning? Like to them, what is the what is the meaning of life? You know, okay. Like, what is the what is the absolute number one thing that that gets them going in the morning? What do they what do they live for? Because uh, I think that's one of the things that personally helps me to be the like to take steps. I'm not the best coach I can be yet, but it helps me to take steps towards the person that I want to be. You know, is that I I know what I want in life, um, and I know I know what I value. You know, and I think that's. Uh, like I said earlier, like 
at the end of your life, those are the things that you look back on, like mm. the, the relationships. And that's ultimately what I value is the, the sense of fulfillment that I get from, from having that and from kind of living the, the journey that I live, which is wonderful. My, oh. my dad has a quote that I'm printing out and putting in our, in our office on the walls. Uh, and it's, uh, my dad plays a lot of golf. And uh, he likes to say that it's important to stop and smell the flowers on the golf course. <laughs> oh, that's very nice. I love the question. And for anyone that's watching, I think this is a sincere question that uh, you should ask yourself because having that so close to your sleeve allows you to pay attention. So I love the question. Thank you so very much, Mac. This has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I wish you continued success. Please kiss and hug Hilly from me, Niski too, even though sometimes Niski was annoying me, but I miss him <laughs> super much. This guy made me laugh more than I can imagine with his comments and his... <laughs> no, both of them. Uh, please give, give them my best and um, I'll catch you around the studio. Thank you so much for your time, brother. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. All the best. Take care. Bye. Okay, guys, that was brilliant. Holy shit. I'm so good at uh, picking guests. <laughs> I'm so good at picking guests. That is, um, I, I am so happy that it plays out uh, the way I imagine, you know, <laughs> when I'm picking guests. <laughs> Mac is, is brilliant. You know, Mac is, Mac is truly one of a kind. It would be, um, you know, it's like when, when I've uh, had a conversation that I know that I will personally listen back to is, um, really, you know, a hallmark for me personally that, uh, you know, it was a good, uh, a good conversation. I don't know what we're going to have next. I was, uh, Potentially talking, I was talking to our dominate about doing an episode, Monte Cristo about doing an episode. Um, maybe I can ask Kedro, uh, someone that I would want to get to know more because I don't know him that well. Is I would like to talk to to, to LS, just to to get to know him. You know, I I've only gotten to know him through the small parts of content that uh, I've um, uh, you know consumed. And I don't know how he feels about me, you know, um, because my last interaction was with LS was when we were both working with Super Hot Crew slash Meet Your Makers, and that is, um, you know, a very long time ago. I've changed a lot. He's changed a lot, you know. And uh, I would be interested to 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 get to know him. I I, I generally just feel intrigued by people that are passionate you know and if, if if i get the the feeling that you're super passionate about what you're doing i am um i am hooked and that could be about anything you know it's like when when mac was talking about juggling bro it blew my mind that blew my mind now like i want to i want to research juggling right now and look at the the, the videos of 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 of, of, of this you know, I like it's 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 crazy how how this thing kind of you know just just as long as humans are involved and passion is involved, then um, 
it's it's too interesting to to look away. Sorry for not reacting to any of the subscriptions. I, I don't read chat as well um, during. Um, I don't read chat. Uh, I'm, I, like I, I, I just have full focus. It's like I put away my phone. I just uh, basically just look at my guests. You know, I just look at my guest uh, in the eyes, <laughs> even though he doesn't see me. But I'm, I'm focusing fully on the guest. Can you get Bwipo? Bwipo could be very nice too. Yeah, it's like if if I could, you know, I, I would talk to Mac for another uh, hours. I could talk to him forever. You know, I. That's, uh, but I have to be fair, you know, he's coaching a, a team in the LEC and uh, he's going off to, to, to celebrate with, uh, with Marek Brazzalini, you know, this is. Um... What about Hedon? Yeah, that could be maybe something in the future. Let's, uh, let's see. What do we do now? That's the question. Do I have energy? Broxa could be interesting too. Yeah, like th that's that's the beauty of League of Legends, right? It's like we have so many different great personalities in the league scene. Yeah, I'll think about who to who to cook up next. I'll think about it, guys. Now the question is, what do I do? Vega V two could be interesting too. Vega V2 always, um, I like Vega V2. Peter Dunn we already had on. But my man Peter Dunn, he always, like, he always has clapped internet connection, man. Clapped audio. Like, my man needs to figure it out, dude. 